Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. <laughs> Oh my god, I did like a crazy countdown this time to start the podcast where I said like five, like we're starting in five, um, four, Felis Cadises, two, taxonomic <laughs> nomenclatures. Yeah, and, then, and then I counted down to one like silently and I was supposed to just start the podcast, but Rihanna and I were both dying. <laughs> I was still laughing. Oh, we were just anyway, playing we're the, uh, the like data's poem like data's rap to get ourselves hyped up and so yeah. if that like comes up a couple times in the podcast you know why that's why <laughs> yeah. okay well here here we go uh we are not klingons but we are sisters and i'm ashlyn and i'm rihanna and today we are talking about the amazing <laughs> the few the mighty women <laughs> in star trek enterprise Welcome, everyone. Um, we are so glad to be back in the studio today. And this recording is happening a couple days before Mission Chicago starts. So very exciting. Um, at this point, we're just waiting for it to happen. I'm just eagerly anticipating and getting all of my cosplay ready. I am very sad that I will not be able to attend Mission Chicago, but I feel like my spirit lives within you, Rihanna, and so everybody that she interacts with in Chicago, it'll be like it'll, it'll feel like I'm there too. So <laughs> this is like a like a sub Rosa situation. Yeah, is that the spirit. That I was gonna say me? like a non romantic ghost situation. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm um, what's his name? The dirty dancing guy. Oh my god, the pottery guy. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he does pottery with his uh, dead ghost wife. But or... not in Dirty Dancing. <laughs> That'd be a very different movie. No, no, no. In no. the movie Ghost. In the movie yeah. Ghost. Classic. Anyway, I'll be like sitting behind you at every panel. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, the point is the atmosphere is very exciting and all of the fans, I feel like there's so many people going to Mission Chicago. Like this is a giant oh, yeah. con. So I hope everybody's ready. I hope your cosplay has come in on time and you are ready to go. <laughs> yeah, Today me is, too. Yeah, Rihanna and I were just talking about this today. <laughs> she was like, what do I do if my jersey doesn't get here? Like, <laughs> Literally, I'm trying to just be Kira from taking me out of the hollow suite. So we'll see how that goes. When Star Trek is your life, like, you know, this, it kinda, this kind of stuff really gets to you. It really does. <laughs> Today is also a fantastic day because it is first contact day. So, only 41 years from now, Vulcans will be here. Guys, I think we can do it. I think we can can make make it. it? (laughs) You know, I'm just scared because the eugenics wars haven't started yet. So, I feel like our timeline is a little bit off here. Mm. Like, Q's been meddling again. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Well, and another very exciting news we got today was the fact that pretty much the entire cast of TNG is coming back for Picard Season 3. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, what? Oh, my God. What? Yeah. 
I Ashland and I literally sent pictures of each other or of ourselves to each other just sobbing. <laughs> so that's our day. I was at work today and I was very distracted because first contact day is just an exciting time for us. And yeah. I feel like fans are really energized, especially, you know, like we talked about with the con coming up. It's just a really amazing time to be a Star Trek fan right now. And so then when they announced that the TNG cast would be in season three, I I lost it. Like I yeah. was I was just like weeping. I heard Michael Doran's voice and I, I could not contain myself. Yeah. And when I heard Gates McFadden, I was like, where's Bev is gonna lose their yes, lives? I yes. <laughs> I saw everybody on Twitter was mentioning them. <laughs> yeah, like, they're hey, like, there she is. There's we Bev. Found her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, very, very exciting stuff. And today we are gonna be switching gears a bit in our feminism series and talking about Star Trek Enterprise, which is um, sort of the last of the quote-unquote old Trek era. And then, of course, we'll be jumping into Discovery next week and Picard and Lower Decks and Prodigy. And then sometime soon, we'll be doing Feminism for Strange New Worlds. So this is just like, again, like we said, an incredible time to be alive (laughs) as a Star Trek fan. It really is. And every time we get to Enterprise, I just have, like, a different feeling, you know? Like, yeah. I always think, like, what a different show. But it's not a bad show. It's just very yeah. different from the rest of Star Trek. Yeah, and one of the biggest difference we noted in, you know, this feminism series is just the severe lack of women in Star Trek Enterprise. And so I do want to address this a little bit because we haven't had this much difficulty finding good female episodes since the original series and even then i think we found better centric episodes for our women in tos than we did in enterprise and this is just shocking to me i just really wanted to talk about it because this is a literal like early 2000s show and so there's no excuse you know like back when we were talking in our very first feminism episode about the original series we kind of gave it a lot of passes because it's made in the 60s and the era in which the movie or the show was being made was not a very feminist era, not a lot of female representation, particularly women of color. And so then we went through all of these incredible series that have so many women. We just came off of a series with a female captain as the lead of the show. And now I find myself struggling to even find a couple of women besides Tapal and Hoshi that are mentionable and not just sexualized or love interests. Or even that occur in more than one episode. <laughs> yeah. Because the other women we're talking about in this podcast, so I'm just going to say right now, mm-hmm. we're going to start with Hoshi and then go on to Phyllis Strong because uh, she was a female writer on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, one yeah. of the few. Yeah. <laughs> um, then Talis, who of course is Sharan's wife, mm-hmm. uh, followed by Amanda Cole, she is the a Mako officer. Yeah, Mako officer. And then we are of course wrapping it up with Tapol. So we kind of have yeah. our major characters sandwiching the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the ones in the middle are not reoccurring. Yes. I mean or or they barely are. I think Talis appears in like two episodes total and she dies in the second one. So right. it's just like shocking to me to think about this era and think about how like Star Trek really backslided when it came to feminism. I mean, even when I was looking up to poll episodes, I typed in Google best to poll episodes. And the first result was which episode does to poll look her best? And I'm like, if that isn't sexism, I don't know what is. Yeah, it 
it's really sad. Also, I do wonder, because obviously this is a show that is a prequel to TOS by about 100 years, mm-hmm. and I wonder if they were trying to reflect what Rick Berman thought Earth would be like um, and the <laughs> yeah. Federation, which is, like, filled with men. And, of mm-hmm. course, this is, like, the first time they're ever interacting with Vulcans. Well, not interacting, but, like, you know, expanding Starfleet to this level with the yeah. Vulcans. Um, it's not an excuse, but I wonder if they were going for that or if is it just pure, like obliviousness uh, and ex- like exclusion on the point of like Rick Berman specifically and Brennan Braga. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting because I took a U.S. women's history class in college and we kind of learned about how there's these different waves of feminism, you know, and it, it, of course, a lot of it started in France with Simone de Beauvoir and then of course, Susan B. Anthony and all of women's suffrage and stuff. But I feel like feminism does come and go in waves and I feel like the early 2000s was not a good time for women in media and the feminist portrayal portrayal was not very good and so I think Ashlyn it's probably both I think it's a synthesis of Rick Berman being on being a head writer which is never good for the for Trek feminism and the fact that it we had just exited a Voyager era that feminist was feminism was I think pretty strong and now in the early 2000s it was declining again which is just so crazy to me but it it is trending like or it does sort of follow these feminist like peaks and slopes I love that input because I've never really thought about it that way but that's how so much of our society works you know Mm -hmm. we're passionate about things that are relevant and like unfortunately that was just not a priority in the early 2000s I know that um you know, I mean, at least America was so obsessed with everything that happened with the Twin Towers falling and mm-hmm. Bush, you know, we're in this like crazy war. It was a really like tumultuous time in yeah. America and in the world. Um, and so I guess social issue, social issues aren't really on the top of people's minds. I don't know. I have, I, yeah. there are much better people to talk about this subject, but I do think it's interesting. And I'm even thinking about other shows in that era, like Friends, you know, is like yeah, ni- late 90s, early 2000s incredibly sexist um and is like shocking to watch now even though i loved friends growing up um Mm -hmm. it's true yeah Yeah, a lot of the sitcoms that i watched obsessively growing up or just grew grew up around with i watch them today and i'm like whoa this is very sexist like all of these views on women are really toxic yeah it's crazy even some scrubs episodes and i love like scrubs and psych and these are all the shows that rihanna and i really grew up watching and loving um, some of those are, are later, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's, true. Yeah. it's really interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but let's move on and celebrate first. Uh, Ashlyn, I want to ask you, I guess, you know, we're still talking about men. <laughs> so Ashlyn, I do want to ask you our question of the week, which is of course, which man in Star Trek Enterprise drank the most respect women juice? Okay. Which character? So this was a tough one because I was kind of like pulling for flocks. I was like, maybe flocks respects women, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he does. Um, all the time. I'm going to choose Trip Tucker because mm. he is, I, I think when we look at him or kind of like try to understand who he is, you might assume he's like, oh, well, he has a Southern accent, which sometimes... Um, 
wait, <laughs> I don't know if I should say no, that. No, I mean, there's a lot of negative connotations to, like, certain accents. It's yeah, really true. Yeah, there are. And so, I like, I tend to think of people in, like, the American South to be, like, sexist, honestly, mm-hmm. um, or racist, or it, it's, it's bad. Um, and I know it is not true for everyone. Dr. McCoy is my favorite character, and he's yeah. from the South. Like, it's not, it, it's just, like, something that comes up with Tucker. And especially in the beginning of Enterprise, he's really, like, painted as someone who's very ignorant and doesn't um isn't like cultured about the world he embarrasses to pull all the time mm-hmm. um but he learns really well and he is incredibly empathetic i notice in all these episodes he's interacting with anyone not just to pull like not just someone he's interested in he gives them he gives women the time of day he listens to them he respects them he notices if they're upset which is like so far beyond most of yeah. these men Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to have to go with Trip Tucker. That's a really great answer, Ashlyn. I, I really like, of course, Trip is my favorite character, so I'm very mm-hmm. happy by that answer. <laughs> what about you? Well, it is interesting because while Trip is my favorite character, I wouldn't say that he drinks the most respect women juice. I actually was going to say, or am saying, flocks. Mm. Um, particularly because of my view re-watching these feminist episodes that we watched for today. I think getting to see him sort of help Hoshi talk through her feelings and help to pull with her addiction. And I know that all falls under the like guise of his like doctorness, like he has to for being a doctor, but just the way he treats his female patients, he's not at all like the doctor from Voyager where he's like, suck it up and deal with the pain if you're pregnant, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but he, I think, really understands like what it feels like to be an outsider and I think some of these women do feel like they're outsiders particularly Hoshi and T'Pol I mean she's the only Vulcan on a human ship so and Phlox I think is struggling with similar things and there's even an episode where there's a woman who's really interested in him we talked about in our love and affection series and he's very respectful to her and he of course has a very different set of like relationship codes in his on his home world but i think he's also really respectful to all of his wives i think that he really respects their relationships with their husbands and he seems to really embrace culture and gender in this really beautiful way that i think kind of you know it sort of rivals the rest of the men on the show and yeah i mean i think that like definitely there's room to grow for him but I never I can't like come up with a sexist comment he's ever made or ever thought like oh boy like he's got a really male point of view where in sometimes Tucker early days I do feel that way but Ashlyn you're so right his character development is really what makes him such a like drink that juice you know (laughs) and I think that but I just think Flox has been drinking it since day one and I think it also comes with the fact that he's not human and so he doesn't have those same gender biases but Still, I just, yeah, shout out to Phlox. He's super cool. Yeah, I I mostly agree with you. It's funny that you say you found this opinion more with these feminism rewatches because I actually found the opposite opinion, that I really? had a really high opinion of him. And then mm-hmm. during a lot of moments in these episodes, I've I've kind of lost some respect mm. for him. So I'm so curious I'm to excited that. to talk yeah. about that. So Absolutely. let's get into it and mm-hmm. let's start right off with Hoshi. Yes. Um, now, for Hoshi, we watched um, we watched Fight or Flight, Vox Sola, and Countdown. And technically, she's also in Exile, which was the episode written by Phyllis Strong that we're talking about. But we're just going to save that till the end. Yep. 
we're just going to cruise right into that section next. Yes. So, yeah, Ashlyn, I'm really excited to talk about Fight or Flight because this is a very early episode. This is episode two of well, the entire series. three, technically, oh, because right. part one, or the first episode is a two-parter. <laughs> yeah, true, you're so right. So, um, this is very early days, and this is the beginning, I feel like, of this mini arc that Hoshi goes through in her with her struggling to decide if she wants to stay in Starfleet and or sorry to stay on the Enterprise and I think this is such an interesting arc that like I didn't really respect when I was a kid watching this we've talked about this almost every episode that we had different viewpoints when we were children watching this show um watching the shows that we're talking about and so same goes with me for Enterprise I was in high school by then we were watching Enterprise um but I think I still saw Hoshi as sort of like weak and whiny because I wasn't used to a character who like outwardly showed fear, which is crazy that there's not a lot of Star Trek characters that do. Well, or all that, the ones like, that do are like low ranking characters, you know, yeah. like Barkley. No one likes Barkley. I know, I know actually he has a huge underground following, but yeah. um, I hated Barkley. And I oh see, yeah, he irritates the you know what out of me. I, like some when I see him in Voyager, like at the end, like in the finale, mm-hmm. that's like the only time I like him. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I mean that is it's neither here nor there, but yeah, um, yeah, you're totally right, Rihanna. Yeah, so there's this sort of perception of Starfleet officers that they are weak if they do show fear, or that they're weak for maybe changing their minds on being on a starship, and so. I think I judged her a lot for that, and I was not a Hoshi fan. I have only become a Hoshi fan because of this podcast and because of the work I've done in facing myself, you know, and I think it's similar to how I felt about Troy is that I feel too much like Hoshi to like her that much. I'm a very anxious person. Um, all of my decisions are made from, like, hours of contemplation and, like, speculation and overthinking and all of this stuff and I can really see that in Hoshi and I know that that would be a detriment if you're a Starfleet officer you have to make a lot of quick decisions you can't have a lot of self-doubt you have to be very confident in yourself and your crew and I don't think I would make it either like truly I also have claustrophobia probably not as severe as Hoshi but uh, I also get like massively carsick so just like all this stuff that would not suit me for space travel even though I desperately wanted to be an astronaut and still kind of do so anyway it's just really interesting because I think I see too much of Hoshi in me and it's all the parts I don't super love about myself and so I projected a lot of my hate of those parts of myself onto Hoshi which is not fair she's her own character and she's not me but that's sort of my perspective coming into these episodes um the first time that we watched them Thank you for sharing all of that, Rihanna. I really appreciate your openness. I think, um, yeah, I I agree with you on almost every point. Hoshi is someone that even today, like this past week when I've been watching these episodes, I still don't like her. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few characters I am having a really hard time embracing I think for the exact same reason that you're saying. Hoshi for me is like if I started saying all of my fears aloud and I feel like that is like the worst thing that you can do. I mean, we are the Dura sisters, Rihanna. We have a lot of pride. (laughs) We Um, do, yeah. We have a a face to keep up, you know? Mm -hmm. And so to be this vulnerable uh, and open in front of people is terrifying. So that's that's a huge reason. I, I am the same way. 
I was also curious, just thinking about, you know, Rihanna summed it up that every episode, both of us have been having some good introspection about these characters and how for so many women, we've come 180 on them, mm-hmm. or at least, you know. At least a little closer direction. Yeah, yeah, at least like some more, like some positive emotions about them. But if I am re-examining all of the men that I have loved, I don't think I've changed my opinion on any of them. Really? Yeah. Which, yeah. which I think the only reason that would be is because my opinion on women have changed, you know, mm-hmm. but my opinion of men have not changed. Interesting. <laughs> I think. Um, I don't know. I have to do some more exploring about that, but I, yeah, I just think it's really good that we're getting into the depths of uh, these emotions and I think it comes out the strongest when it's a character we hate because when you really start examining it closely you're like oh no (laughs) this is why yeah that's so true I mean sometimes people are just straight up annoying but like on Star Trek there's they're always able to give the like the full view of them for yeah. the most part so we really get to see the lo- the highs and the lows of these characters which is awesome and that's why it's such a fantastic show that's so true ashlyn i i'm so curious about what you said about like the men male characters you like not changing for you and i've had the complete opposite realization i think i had a lot of sort of like um i wouldn't say internalized homophobia but more just like I had to present really straight because I, but I didn't know why when I was younger, obviously now I know why. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that I really was attracted to a lot of the like toxic male characters. My favorite character in Deep Space Nine was Bashir. My favorite Voyager character was Tom Paris. Like you're seeing the trend, you know, like obviously Bashir gets better and Paris also does improve as a person, but they're both like very toxically masculine and have a lot of those like male traits you know that are supposed to be attractive and I think that I was so desperate to like want to be attracted to that that I was you know and that I was like and of course they're also great characters in their own light like they have good episodes and stuff but now I watch Deep Space Nine I'm like Dax is literally like the greatest character of all time and I'm over here as a kid like simping after Bashir you know (laughs) it's just interesting to see how my view changes and I also really enjoyed I mean, I still love Trip Tucker. Nothing has changed. And that's not problematic. <laughs> but I don't know. It, that's just so fascinating to me, Ashlyn. I'm really so, just so curious about how, like, we grow as people and how our character favorites grow or change. This is so interesting, Rihanna. Once again, right? thank you for sharing your perspective. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, when I think about all my favorite characters are still all my favorite characters. McCoy has probably waned throughout the years, but mm-hmm. he's still my favorite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Picard, um, Worf. Mm. Uh, I used to like Odo, and now I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah. anti turn into a handbag and sneak onto a ship, you know? Anti-surveillance vibes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's say what it is. But I still, yeah, he might be the only one that's like fallen for me as one of mm-hmm. my favorites, but. Yeah, that's so yeah, fair. I don't know. It's, it is really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, thank you for taking a deep dive with yeah. us listeners into our, our psyche. <laughs> Very early on in the episode, too. <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> Oh my god, we've like barely talked about anything. But I, I think it's important to really set up um, this perspective that we have going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I remember one of the early months that we joined Trek Twitter, we put up a poll that was like, who's the worst Star Trek Twitter? <laughs> who's the worst Star Trek character? And it was so divisive because we put yeah. on Esri, 
Um, mm-hmm. Hoshi. Hoshi. Neelix. Neelix. And, and Kess, I think. Yeah, like, people who are, like, on the main crew. Like, obviously, uh-huh. like, Golducott's the worst, or Kai Wen. Yeah, but, sure. Um, of these, like, main cast characters. And, <laughs> oh, my God, there were, we got, like, 500 comments of yeah, there people were, like, fights. <laughs> screaming at each other. They're like, how could you think that Hoshi is not yeah. a precious angel? And I'm Literally, like, oh, my Literally, one person was like, Hoshi is my girl. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh, sorry. <laughs> We offended so many people <laughs> so early on in our podcast career. And I was shocked to see that people liked Hoshi, yeah. you know? So it's just so nice to have some perspective because Rihanna and I absolutely grew up in a family that at that point, like no one had seen Star Trek except the original series yeah. and like a minute of TNG. Mm-hmm. And so, and none of our friends are watching no. Star Trek. God, no. <laughs> why, why was that, Rihanna? Why didn't we have any Star Trek huh. friends? <laughs> Because uh, we just needed cooler friends, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, just kidding. I love all my friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, wild. That's so we definitely grew up in a bubble. And so it's just mm-hmm. amazing to see, like, other people's reactions. So, Ashlyn, it's also interesting because, like, you and I have similar opinions on, like, nearly everything. And so it's always sort of, it's always, like, a little bit interesting when we disagree because, like, you and I are, like, basically the same person a lot of the time. And so um, it is, like you said, so nice to have other people talking about Trek and we get to hear them and I get to like listen you know and actually be like okay like I'm gonna give that some thought and give Hoshi another chance and I'm so glad I did because like these episodes really spoke volumes to who she is as a character yeah and I was actually like especially while watching these episodes thinking of those specific people and some of those comments came back to me about people Mm -hmm. who are like diehard for Hoshi um because it makes me see wow she really is beloved and mm-hmm. I think, honestly, my biggest problem growing up is that fight or flight, the first mm-hmm. episode, like, we're, you know, starting to talk about, she is, like, at her worst, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. She is, in this episode, she has to go uh, onto this ship that's full of, like, dead bodies they don't know about initially. Um, they, they think it's, like, a ship that's just not responding uh, to any hails or whatever, but they have to check it out. And to pull is like, um, guys, that's not what we do. <laughs> literally but she's Ar- like this is not protocol no she's not but archer's like i want to explore and like what if they need help you know he's yeah it's very kirk they're chomping at the bit to get out and explore yes. strange new worlds that's yeah. exactly right and uh so they go and hoshi is like has to go on because she has to like interpret the language and she's mm-hmm. just valuable also i i was gonna mention her slug is sick too oh sluggo <laughs> Okay, it's not just her slug. Everyone, I mean, she took it aboard, but everyone's asking about Sluggo. Literally everyone she encounters is asking her. They're like, how's Sluggo? I'm like, wow, you guys are obsessed with this No, I don't think they're obsessed with the slug. I think they are concerned about Hoshi. And Mm. so they don't know how to ask, like, how are you? So they ask, how's Sluggo? Like, how are you dealing with Sluggo's sickness? You know? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I also think they don't have anything to talk to Hoshi about. And this is one of the things that is also a detriment to the writing of Enterprise is that all of the male characters get like these little like character or like personality traits and you know Reed doesn't like pineapple or like or does he loves I don't know is he allergic does he love it I can't remember (laughs) either way he is like some and he he loves explosions and like you know everyone has Archer loves his water polo like fun facts they all have Mm -hmm. fun facts yeah what's Hoshi's fun fact she's has anxiety that's exactly (laughs) it this is my thing that's such that makes it like me so furious about the writing is that 
Hoshi, literally, her personality trait is that she's stressed. And I hate that because, like, that's how I honestly sometimes give myself that personality trait. And it's not a personality trait. It's a mental illness. <laughs> like, there's a difference, you know? And so it, it, it just bothers me that, like, yeah, of course they have nothing to talk to Hoshi about because she has no written character. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Rihanna. Drop that mic. You have the face. I just really... You're like, I just I said the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I said it. I'll say it again. DC Fontana flowed through me. Yeah. <laughs> Let the spirit possess me. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, I, I have never noticed that. Thank you for pointing that out. She really doesn't have a personality. Well, and I can't take full credit for this because I also was reading a Star Trek article about how, like, a Star Trek.com article about how T'Pol and Hoshi were, like, shafted, essentially. Like, they're like, why T'Pol and Hoshi deserve better 20 years later? And I'm like, yeah. Um, and they said something about that, how, like, the writing is just so um, skewed towards the men. T'Pol also has no fun facts besides that she's a Vulcan. Ah. Oh. And she's addicted to Trillium, like another it's disease. It's not a fun fact. It's an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it's just so dumb. So yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, anyway, anyway. you're totally right. Um, well, so I'll say now the problem that I had with Vlock started out in this episode because she's at um, like she has a lot of conversations with Flox during mm -hmm. this episode. She's feeling very afraid about even going over to the ship. That's kind of like mm -hmm. scary and foreboding. They have like several conversations throughout this episode. First when Hoshi's too scared to go and then they talk again after she's gone and she screamed in her words like a 12 year old. And then one more time like at the end I think. But Flox, I don't think he's really being supportive to her mm. at all. I think that he is, like, trying to do what he thinks is best for her, which is, like, he sees that she's really stressed out, that she's a little claustrophobic, that she um, has really low self-esteem, like, extremely low. Mm -hmm. And I think he is saying, like, he, te he tells her, like, straight up, maybe you should go home. You know, like, you shouldn't critter like consider this career. And I yeah. understand that some people use that kind of talk in order to self-motivate people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, how dare you tell me that? Like, and then it makes you remember, like, all the things that you're good at, you know? But Hoshi is the type of person that when someone, like, like, what am I trying to say? Like, someone who doesn't apply, she's good enough, she'll just listen or something? Well, someone or? who's, like, has any respect at all, she'll just listen to. You know, like, mm -hmm. like Flox is very respectful being <laughs> like yeah he's, respectable yeah. yeah he's the he's the doctor he's mm -hmm. what he's who everybody trusts and someone like archer like if it's either of, if either of those people say you have to do something she'll just do it mm -hmm. and um i feel like if he was trying to be motivational to her i did not get that at all from him because he was like this sluggo needs to go like on a different planet maybe somewhere he can be a teacher you know yeah and it's like directly like i know they're using the slug as a metaphor for Hoshi, mm -hmm. but that is really bad writing, you know? Completely. Like, what a terrible way to show her development is through, like, the, slug. This, the whether the slug is going to live or not, you know? You're so true. You're so right, Ashlyn. And thank you for your perspective. I definitely saw that as more Phlox trying to lend a listening ear and trying to provide advice. I didn't think it was, like, and I know you're not saying this, but I don't think he was trying to, like, shoot her down and say like hey you should just go home you're not like 
worthy of this. I think he was sort of picking up what Hoshi was putting down. I think that he was, uh, I think that Flox feeds a lot on other people's energies and he sort of goes with what their mood is and has a person who is also a, like sort of a chameleon in a crowd. I really understand that. And so I think it is interesting because like, I feel like he was more just going the direction that she was already leading with her, which, you know, maybe isn't a good thing. I think maybe he should have pushed back a little and said, like, what if you give it another month? Or what if you ask Archer to give you less away missions? But obviously that's not going to happen because she's the communicate. She's the translator and the communications officer. But also Uhura stayed on the ship all the, the damn time. And that was because of sexism and racism. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just those. <laughs> just those. But, like, we have also, like... Yeah, so I don't know. I, that's sort of what I felt with Phlox, but I do really, I really understand what you're saying, Ashlyn, and I think that for Hoshi, it wasn't the best choice, and he wasn't being as supportive as he could have, um, and I think that the one person who was really supportive of her, or at least just listened, was Trip. Like, yes. he absolutely just, like, let her talk and let her vent and gave her that space, and I think that's so important. Yes, and even when she talks to Archer about her fear he basically like he asks her when she says i was claustrophobic in the suit like i don't like wearing it he's mm-hmm. like well how did you get through your training and she's like i just bit my lip and got through it and he's like well you're gonna have to bite your lip and do it again and okay i'm just gonna say like sometimes that does work for me like that type mm-hmm. of motivation does work mm-hmm. but it does not work if i'm already feeling so down and depressed about the situation and have no confidence that i can do this task correctly mm-hmm it's not going to work. It's going to make me feel worse. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how it does for Hoshi. I think she feels worse because of this. Um, I just also just am annoyed at Archer because he's so great in so many situations, but he does have this captain's hat ego thing that he puts on every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Mostly not like mostly he's just like so pure and just like, Hey, Porthos want some cheese, you know? (laughs) But like sometimes when he has his captain hat on, he's just so rigid and unflexible and the and he says Hoshi I I think it's pressure like I think I I don't think he means it as bad pressure but he's saying Hoshi you were the best option like yeah are you telling me you can't do this you know it's just it's just not what she needs and he's known her for so long so this is just like a flaw in him that he can't recognize like when someone is in true distress (laughs) he cannot he's like super tone deaf and this is something that like oh boy did archer not come off well in these episodes looking at it through a feminist lens i was like um, i was like almost furious at him in some of these episodes particularly these ones with hoshi because i feel like you know all of my life i've been called sensitive and emotional and dramatic and like those kind of things because i do wear my emotions more on my sleeve and i am more like hoshi in a lot of aspects and so I think I was a little bit triggered watching Archer talk to her like this because, like, it's just validating this toxic view that, like, you should have to push through things in order to get them done. And that is so detrimental to so many people, particularly people with anxiety who, like, already believe they can't do it. Then you're right, they're going to completely fold under the pressure. And, like, 
we see that, you know, in this, in some circumstances, Hoshi does push through, bite her lip, get it done. But, like, is her mental health better for it? I can guarantee you it's not. Like, I can guarantee you it's worse. And it's only going to get worse because this episode, or this show is, like, some crazy stuff happens, you know? And they go through so much BS and the just, like, awful things that, like, yes, Hoshi does get stronger. And, like, she develops as a character. And that's amazing for the arc. But, like, I'm just out here thinking about Hoshi's mental health. And I am not happy, <laughs> essentially. I just am so mad at Archer for essentially telling her to suck it up because that's what she did in the past and that's what quote-unquote worked you know and I'm like okay but like there's so many ways you could have Hoshi literally have comms channels open the entire time like I we've seen this before this is a weird very niche Star Trek trope of people being forced to work through their claustrophobia this has happened three <laughs> separate occasions um or four because actually Hoshi had to climb through the turbo lift yeah. or the, the Jeffrey's tube and Garrick both those times had to work through his claustrophobia so like I get it to an extent yes there are some things that you just have to push through but when Hoshi is literally telling Captain Archer that like the only way I got through this was biting my lip I don't think the correct response is to say, bite your lip again, do this again, you know? It's just so, so tone deaf of how, like, feelings work and how, like, people are that it's just surprising that, like, Archer can, like, have this these crew relations so easily when, like, he's forcing uh, Hoshi and mostly Hoshi into a lot of these really uncomfortable situations. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I was just on a, a great journey with you and yeah. your whole <laughs> discussion. You. I, I think, again, like my mind always is like flipping through how can I justify or like add a little bit to Archer's perspective. And the only thing I can Mm -hmm. think is that the Starfleet and Mako are like similar operations, you know, where Mako Mm -hmm. is a military version of Starfleet, essentially. Um, Starfleet's reaching out to find uh, and interact with new cultures and Mako is like still into war and Mm -hmm. around to fight the Zindi and all this stuff. And so I think that Archer's mentality and overall the mentality of you have to push through things to get them done is very powerful in this era. Mm-hmm. I mean, so true. it was very powerful like in our culture. I'm even thinking about like, so I, I also, I just want to say like, I understand and I, this is how I felt when I first saw this episode, Hoshi was saying, oh, I'm claustrophobic. She's giving all these excuses why she doesn't want to go over. And I'm, I'm thinking, why are you even here? You know, Mm -hmm. like, why are you on this mission if you have all of these fears? Because everyone around you can do these things. And I, yes, okay, she's the only, like, civilian officer. And Mm -hmm. so she's here for a different perspective. But being so used to watching all this Star Trek, seeing everybody sacrifice their lives and doing incredibly heroic things, I'm just like so annoyed at Hoshi because I'm like why can't you push through like everyone else but Rihanna the answer is what you just said um it's mental health (laughs) yep and um (laughs) if you don't have a supportive environment then you can't push through yeah that's just the fact of the matter well and I'm even just thinking about like the history of like being forced to push through things despite the trauma it will cause you is rooted in being a human I mean, think about, mm-hmm. like, cavemen and shit. It's like, yeah. you, you either battle this tiger or you die. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't have a therapist after. No, like. there's no, I mean, you're probably eating the tiger and you're enjoying your life. You Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, maybe you don't need a therapist. But, 
but also, like, you have to kill people i mean it was savage and yeah. we still are killing people today mm-hmm. and um i think i mean all of this just reminds me of because because it's so fresh for me my husband went through basic training like just about a year ago and like the point is to like get you used to trauma you know mm-hmm. and that is just it's just so rooted in our culture that we expect people to handle like a, a high level of drama but and to still be okay to interact in society it's just anyway so I this mean, is this is off the rails but like i'm i'm trying to say like this is my opinion now watching Hoshi and seeing Archer because Picard would I well maybe Picard would have done this Janeway would not have done this she would have been like it's okay he's like all right we'll get two act to go (laughs) well just bring to Paul like I I don't know just like like I said keep her on the comms or she needs to talk to someone she she can still talk to them through the communications she just doesn't need to be there on the first round if she's a civilian okay whatever yeah I'm letting it go it's just a yeah and I actually I'm really glad you're talking about cultural aspects because i think that helps me understand archer's perspective more and understand starfleet in this era you're absolutely right it's so military based um there's still so much fear and i mean we see it within reed like himself as a character is showing like how he's constantly ready to fight and he's ready to like assuming everyone's always hostile and so i think also this is sort of indicative of like toxic capitalism work culture too you know i'm really like boom yeah (laughs) well we're just we're taking down all kinds of structures today (laughs) yes dismantle um yeah i mean god like i'm sorry you're going to work and you see hanging dead bodies that's not in your job description this is what hoshi's saying halfway through the episode she's like i did not come out here to see dead bodies hanging from the ceiling i'm like no you did not that's very correct you know and so Obviously, like, yeah, you can't prepare for everything, but you don't prepare for dead bodies. And, like, seeing that is going to be absolutely traumatic. Like, Flox says, this is the part that I really liked in the episode, is when Flox was relating to her and, like, getting on her level. I think that he is really good at, like, helping to relate situations and to be like, you are not alone in this. And Flox was saying, like, the first time I saw, like, mass bodies, it was very traumatic for me. So it's very understandable response in a healthy one you know and i think that that is like so cool because like he's the only one championing her mental health and like trying to show her that like hey like this is normal you're doing fine and yeah maybe he does push her a little bit but i just appreciated that well yeah and as much as i like think hoshi is lame for screaming at the bodies i also cannot pretend that if I walked into a ship of hanging <laughs> bodies, I would I would not go in my pants. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd wet myself. So for sure. I I dare any of you without like experience of scavenging the stars and seeing bodies all the time to try to go through the same experience and not also scream like a twelve year old. Yeah, it's so understandable, and the fact that like. Archer makes her go back just in case there's, quote, someone to talk to. Bro, that is just overkill. Yeah, overkill. This is the thing that always pushes me over the edge with Archer is that he pushes and pushes and pushes and just says that's an order, Ensign, and then she has to do it. That is so effed to me. He does not only do that with T'Pol. We'll talk about this. Or no, I, with, I, you with I, Hoshi. I said it, yeah. He does not only do this with Hoshi, and we'll talk about it more later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think you're right, too. At the end of the episode, we've got this uh, communications with the... There's this whole, like, thing at the end where they're having to send a distress signal to their home world of the bot of the species whose bodies were strung up and so they finally make contact and Hoshi is here she's probably been studying the language for what half a day yeah and they expect her to be fully fluent like this is the thing that also irritates me um is that like because of this crazy Starfleet caliber that they're building with all of these officers they expect like exceptionally difficult tasks you know and so i understand this is her job she's supposed to be communication communications officer but she is working in a time period where there's no complete universal translator there's one that started but hoshi's like the reason that there's a co like cohesive one and one that like like she's a trailblazer and like we were talking about last episode ashlyn it's very lonely at the top and it's very lonely being the person starting this and no one really empathizes or gets this they don't really say like oh hoshi we understand language is effing hard i'm sorry that you have to do this on such a tight schedule but like we believe in you we're proud of you we trust you no instead he's like you have to archer's like you have to do this no like essentially like pressuring her and either she pretty much was like either i will break down right now or i will just suck it up and do it and she sucks it up and does it and realizes like she is capable of staying in on the enterprise and stuff which is cool like it's but i hate that she had to be forced into that to make that realization well and my perspective on her has changed so much just with these couple episodes because i think she's pretty much like the the mozart of languages like, yeah. we see in a couple episodes, we're going to talk about this telepath who finds Hoshi, and she's the only, like, mind that is capable of understanding his telepathic thoughts, which is insane. <laughs> what? Um, like, one of the only mind in a really, really long time he's been searching. And so, like, mm -hmm. that already tells you her brain is really unique. The mm -hmm. fact that, like, oh, my God. I mean, some people do really have an ear for languages, and it just, like, flows well. Um, totally. Hoshi not only has an ear for languages, but her brain works on this like interdimensional level where she can even understand patterns that like <laughs> are not like any languages we know on earth. And so yeah. it's so sad. I totally agree that her crewmates around her are not respecting her, but here's the difference between their jobs. It's like how, like how to be a chief engineer. And there's like a, a rule book and bullet points totally. to follow. And there's, you know, you have to study about the existing technology and then you'd have to be the best, you know, like that's how, it, that's what it means to be on a ship called Enterprise. You have to be mm -hmm. the best, but True. like, I mean, for every other job on board, there is a rule book and how to instruction manual. But for Hoshi's job, it's like, learn this language <laughs> pretty fast and like, yeah. and like send this message to them, you know? Totally. So it's it's one of the hardest jobs she has to do besides maybe Archer because he's, you know, in unfamiliar territory to pull to. But I, I just feel so bad for Hoshi. And I feel like if she had been with a different crew, she would have had so much more confidence and so much more, um, I don't know, like a, a better, like a, a place to flourish in this environment totally. of excellence, you know, because she's just not respected. Yeah. Um, go well, ahead. and yeah. I think that this is also the crux of, um sort of being a like like they don't like they underestimate her i think partially because she's a woman and partially because she's like physically small she's like petite so i think she's perceived as weak 
and also she's a person of color. So, like, she's kind of got these aspects of her that mm, maybe people stereotype or I just, like, obviously I'm a white, white woman, so I can't speak directly on the perspective, but my girlfriend has talked a bit about how, like, as a person of color, you have to do everything but, like, a hundred times better than the person next to you, the white person next to you, you know? And so I think that, yes, we're in a Star Trek era where, like, yeah, people are so much more accepting and all of that, but what we see very much so that, like, maybe, yeah, they've moved on from being racist to, like, humans, and they're going to be racist to Vulcans and other species now, but I think that there's still sort of that inherent, like, oh, I don't know if she can do it because she's a woman or because she's an Asian woman or, like, whatever, what have you, and I don't know if that plays out, I don't think it ever plays out in this show specifically, but I think it's really important to mention, and I think that colors a lot of people's perspectives on Hoshi and the way they interact with her. Totally agree. I also think just the extra strike of her not having gone through, like, Starfleet Academy, you Mm -hmm. know, um, puts an even, like, another massive strike against her, because she's just she's not the same pay grade or like even if she is at the same pay grade they feel like maybe she doesn't deserve it you know even though she does um exactly yeah i yeah i just feel bad for her i mean so what's great is at the end of the episode yeah she gets through it i do think that it was tough for her but this was like a good um a good uh boundary to push for her yes um because she can like she has this amazing ability to just like trust her brain and uh figure out the puzzle and that's exactly what she does and she saves enterprise this is the third episode and a woman is saving the enterprise that's pretty amazing so Um, awesome and uh, i mean we also talked like or we didn't really talk about it but in this episode everyone on the ship was so jealous to get to go on the away mission and she was the Mm -hmm. only one that wasn't excited and i just also really like felt that especially someone with anxiety like sometimes what everyone else will and also um when you're in a really like specialized field Mm. um and everyone around you are peers and uh they are like excited about a thing that is on like a higher level because they're like on the same field Mm. i don't know i just really i understood that pressure that hoshi's feeling and like she's just not excited but anyway yeah um thank you ashlyn that's such a valuable (laughs) perspective just like i get that you know with it's like with recitals and stuff it's like oh or like performing in a big show everyone around me would be so excited and like this is the dream this is the career of my dreams and for me I'm just like so anxious I can't even enjoy it that much until like I'm finally it's done that's when Mm -hmm. I enjoy it but I can it's hard to enjoy during sometimes unless it's like an easy part but understandable um Anyway, I really, I just, I, I felt that for Hoshi, but um, I, I am, I think this was a good push for her that um, Archer says, just do it. And even to pulls like, just do it. Like we know you can. Mm-hmm. And so finally she gets that support at the very end. Totally. And I think it does help her continue to stay on Enterprise and choose to remain and continue to help the crew. Absolutely. Yeah, and this is really similar to the uh, the next episode that we watched called Vox Sola. Um, I literally wrote in my notes, another communication struggle, because <laughs> that's the plot of the episode. Yep. Um, 
And I think that this is something I've noticed throughout this whole rewatch of these feminism episodes is the fact that T'Pol, I think, comes off a lot as of, like, very strict and very sort of mean. And this was something that threw me off a lot when I was younger because I'm sort of used to the charming parts of Vulcans that I really enjoy or just, like, I I have an inherent bias of loving Vulcans because of Spock and Tuvok, like, a good track record, you know, of my favorite characters. And so I think it was really interesting seeing her in these in these episodes. It comes off as very strict, and and I think in the first part of this episode, I thought she was being really hard on Hoshi, and I was like, what is going on? Like, is this sort of a competitive women against women type thing? Like, is that what they're trying to write here? But then they have this beautiful, beautiful talk in the mess hall where to pull or where Hoshi's like really struggling to get this language because it's like mathematic based and her mathematics aren't as strong as her like language skills which like same <laughs> and so uh she is she comes clean to Depol and says that I feel like you don't really think I belong and Depol pretty much says like that's not true at all I just hold you quote to a higher standard because I know that you're capable of it. And like that perspective is so essential and I'm so glad that these women got a chance to talk it out because like you can't have that sort of animosity or just like questioning why this person's acting that way on a ship. Like you need to have really like, you need to be close, you need to be connected and in sync. And so the fact that they were out of sync was really hindering a lot of their work. But you see like the minute they start working together and start communicating, everything goes so much smoother. Hoshi admits that she needs help and T'Pol admits that she's not just being a hard ass or she's not just being strict and mean. She's truly just like, she holds her to a high standard because she believes in her. And I really love this conversation. I think it's so beautiful and rare because we don't get a lot of T'Pol and Hoshi moments. They don't spend a lot of time together. There's not like any sort of strong female friendships in Enterprise. And so to see the two of them connect is really special. I agree. I love the scene. This was one of my favorite ones in all the episodes that we watched today. Fantastic scene. I think it also really shows how good of a leader to pull is because she is strict and unyielding at times, but she is also very empathic and because that's, that is Vulcans, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, not all, not hashtag, not all Vulcans are, are that way. Like, (laughs) Sarek. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like a lot of the Vulcans at the science Academy need to to get their stuff together. But yeah. Um, (laughs) old fashioned trends. Anyway, well, we, we have to, we'll talk about that later. I just love that to pull just encourages her that way and they just have good communication and it just reminds me that this is still early trek you know where humans are really getting to know vulcans vulcans are really getting to know humans and it's lovely to see two very different people have this lovely interaction where they can be honest and open with each other and i just love it yeah it's gorgeous yeah Yeah, so good um and i love too that like since Hoshi doesn't speak sort of this mathematical language, T'Pol can pick up the slack, you know, and that is so cool. And that's really what Starfleet, I think, and what, like, crews on these ships 
when they are like work at their best you know is when they use their combined skills to solve a problem that is like the core of star trek and one of the things that's so important to remember is that like you're not hoshi's not working in this vacuum with no help and i think she sometimes feels that way because as we hear in the episode exile like she feels very isolated and um feels like even amongst a ship full of humans she doesn't belong and so i think she does a lot of that self-isolating without even really realizing and that's to her detriment because if she just asks for help every once in a while things are going to go a lot smoother and topol of course is a math genius and so and hoshi's a language genius and so together they figure it out yes absolutely i also like have a small confession because when i was watching this episode and Tapol says or i think hoshi mentions i really need someone who's good at calculus Mm -hmm. um or like really high level calculus and i like i really thought Tapol was gonna go get someone else to help her like Mm -hmm. another man Mm -hmm. on the ship uh because there is the unfortunate stereotype that men are like better than math and but also i think more than that i i also am in tune to what Enterprise is as a show. Mm-hmm. And so I think more so I was thinking, oh, I don't think I remember a scene with T'Pol and Hoshi together, so I don't think this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was yeah. like, oh, he's you know probably going to go get, she's probably going to go get Trip or someone else, Mayweather. So I, I was so happy to see these two together. I, I think like this really demonstrates Hoshi's evolution because she's like continuing to save the ship over and over again. We really see that she is going through a lot on Enterprise and she is a very different person than we saw in the first episode. She is totally. becoming like extremely brave and um, motivated by more than just like self-preservation. She's like really kind of part of this like militaristic crew now which is a really wild transformation yeah and i think this is most indicative in the episode countdown so we chose this episode and then watching it realized who she was in not as much as i suspected but it's still she plays a massive role in getting it done but so hoshi is kidnapped in the episode previous and it's like this long zindi weapon arc so we've got you know those multiple uh to be continued and so we see that hoshi is literally like being kidnapped and tortured and for uh, information on the launch code. They want her to hack the third launch code so that they only need two species to launch the weapon and all of this stuff. And they inject her, I think, with the con bugs. Like, once again, we're getting an appearance of the con bugs. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but they said they'll, like, go around your brainstem and make you susceptible. And I'm like, that's the con bug standard. <laughs> like That's the con bug special, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's about all they do and so they inject her with them or like something and her first go around she's at the console trying or they think she's cracking the code turns out she's adding an extra layer of encryption and she's like outwardly defying them this is so cool and so then when they figure it out she like punches someone and starts running and of course there's a million uh insectoids so they catch her pretty quickly but this is the most phenomenal part i think is that she nearly jumps off the edge like into the reactor and like almost kills herself in order to keep them from taking the weapon and using it and holy moly this is not like you said exactly ashlyn this is not season one episode three hoshi this is evolved 
like completely just just inspiring Hoshi. I'm like, obviously not great, the self-sacrificial tendencies, but <laughs> A, that's Starfleet for you. <laughs> but like, I'm still so inspired by that dedication to saving Earth because she knows like, she'll never forgive herself, even if it's under the influence and stuff. Like, no one would ever forgive themselves if they gave them the launch code to a weapon that destroyed their planet. You know, like these stakes are massive. And so that's why she's willing to die for them. Yeah, this was really, like, shocking for me to see Hoshi, like, really going out there. Because you never see yeah. her in action scenes. So this was really, no. this was really cool. Um, I also, I thought the ending was pretty problematic with Archer. <sighs> because Hoshi is injured. Um, she's taken back to the ship by the, who is it? Oh, by the, by Mako. Because Mako, like, being Mako? Mako? Who's Mako? <laughs> Oh, the Mako officers. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Oh my god. <laughs> oh lord. Okay, yeah. Um, Mako. 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 Oh jeez. <laughs> oh my god. Ma- yeah, the Mako. The Mako. Um, so the Mako officers beam on to the Zindi ship, the insectoid ship, and rescue her and uh bring her back she is not in good shape and flock says she he can't even wake her up for like two hours yeah um but archer is getting on to what's his name ship um his buddy old pal from the zindi Um, it's not degra because he's dead at this point oh it's not degra i thought it was degra r.i.p degra (laughs) (laughs) it's another uh like eight ape-ish yeah zindi. it's a zindi who's against the insectoids mm-hmm. um so he has to get on their ship and he needs hoshi with him because he needs to know everything that just went on with the insectoids because she was like her his inside woman yeah. but um flox is like no we can't move her it's not okay she's gonna die and archer says i don't care i want her on the ship in 20 minutes and Flox is like, well, okay, then let me go with you. And he says, no, we need you on Enterprise. Like, show Reed how to do it. Which, I, I this is so insane to me That's that Archer's willing to despicable. sacrifice his life. And obviously, like, she lives. But, mm-hmm. like, this is very questionable. <laughs> it's it's just atrocious to me. And this, like, like I said, Archer is not going to come off well in this at all. Because I think that this is one of his more problematic traits is the fact that how willing he is to sacrifice innocent people for quote the greater good or or the the cause and we're going to see this in future episodes but even just when like he's having flocks break his ethical medical codes all the damn time and it is terrifying like i cannot imagine even someone like kirk who can be a little bit, like, egotistical and have some similar Archer traits. I cannot imagine him forcing McCoy to, like, wake her up, do this. Oh, no, he might. But, like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't seem as, it just, like, the, there's a really good quote that I think um, T'Pol says later on that's, like, if you continue to use the, uh, the phrase, like, the phrase, like, oh, well, it justifies then like you're going to yeah okay thank you uh the quote is we can't save humanity without holding on to what makes us human you said that to me is Mm -hmm. what topol says back to archer and she says once you rationalize the first misstep it is easy to fall into a pattern of similar behavior 
Yes, and he has definitely fallen into this pattern, and it's uh, consistent throughout the show. I mean, we watched episodes from every season, and this problematic trait keeps popping up, and it's often in the detriment of these women, and it's really frustrating to see because, like um, Jera said in our episode of Voyager last week, that Archer is pretty inflexible when it comes to command decisions, and he won't listen to other people's advice or counsel, and... Yeah, that's definitely in the detriment of himself and of his crewmen, crew people. <laughs> yeah, and this is a subject for, like, maybe a war series. but or ethics, yeah. Yeah, or ethics, but I really don't know whether the Federation would exist without Archer doing these questionable things. And yeah. that is something that's really hard to face, is that we want to be pure and do everything by the book and correctly and not murder anyone innocent, but is an empire going to be built that way? Is the Federation right. going to be built that way? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely the Section 31 mentality, you know, like yeah. they're the sort of other peacekeepers I that you don't see. I want to say, because I love Star Trek, like, yes, it's possible, mm -hmm. but I see Archer in these episodes and I can't help but wonder, you know, well, and even you see, like, the evil Admiral of the Week on any other Star Trek show, and they're willing to do a lot to justify a lot of awful things, so. Yeah, we, we need to get back to our anyway, women here. <laughs> women, we love women. <laughs> These women are amazing. They're doing great things. And Hoshi is incredible. And, yeah, so I think, honestly, the thing I appreciate most about Hoshi as a character is her development and is her ability to keep pushing and even though that sucks sometimes i think that she's so strong for this and no one gives her enough credit for being strong for that you know for just getting through sometimes is the hardest fucking is the hardest thing and she's doing it and she's like also casually creating parts of the universe the translator and making it so much easier for everyone else it's just like a mirror it's just like a terrible design that we haven't seen like the Hoshi Sato Museum of Science. Yeah, what? You know, like, like, someone wins the Hoshi Sato Prize in Picard Season 3 would be great. You know, like... <laughs> really? <laughs> or, like, any communications officer. I mean, it's just thinking, like, it makes me think so fondly about how, like, all of the linguistic devices that Ahura used were because of Hoshi. You know, that is just so cool. Like, trailblazer after trailblazer here, folks. Mm -hmm. Well, and especially, like, TOS era... People probably want to join Starfleet, especially women and women of color, because of Hoshi. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and someone who respected Hoshi quite a lot. <laughs> oh, Rihanna. <laughs> but it's like problematic respect. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about the man. Oh. <laughs> you think I'm out here talking about a man? <laughs> I'm talking about Phyllis Strong, who oh, wrote this episode. Okay. I was like, that's telepath. He knew too. He he knew too much about Hoshi. He threw his respect with a juice in the trash. <laughs> yeah. So this is of course the episode Exile, uh, written by Phyllis Strong and Ashlyn. This episode is directed by Roxanne Dawson. Hallelujah. Which, if you guys don't know, that is Blada Taurus from Star Trek Voyager. So cool. Actually, she. Excuse me. I got really too excited. She also directed the episode. Uh, Voxola that we just talked about. What? Yeah, so multiple Hoshi episodes she's involved in directing. 
Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, so I didn't really realize she had much of a, like, directing, uh, like, I didn't know that she directed a lot of Enterprise, or a lot of Star Trek episodes, but to see her name on these Enterprise episodes is, like, a dream come true. Okay, we did not intend for this, and I just, again, I can't think how this day could get any better. (laughs) And yet, here we are, talking about amazing Star Trek news, and then finding out historical female Star Trek facts. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's truly amazing, especially because we spent so long talking about Roxanne Dawson in our last episode as Bolana, and so getting to see her step behind the camera and become this incredible director is so cool, especially alongside a writer like Phyllis Strong. What a powerhouse. Right? This is a really, (laughs) this is an interesting one. This one is kind of like Star Trek Beauty and the Beast. Um, Hoshi is having a Beverly Crusher experience where she's seeming to be hallucinating or something, but she hears voices. She hears like the basilisk speaking parcel tongue. (laughs) Like it's, it's like every science fiction fantasy trope (laughs) out there. Totally. Um, Someone hears voices, which is never a good sign. And... And if it's a woman, then she won't get won't get believed. To you. Yeah. Yep. And so this is what's happening. Oh, she's hearing these voices, which is from a telepath named Tarkin. Tarkin, which is funny because it's like other Tarkins. Um, but yeah, so this guy's named Tarkin. He is communicating from like thousands of light years away. He's on a nearby planet, and he's trying to convince Hoshi to come this way he he's read her mind and knows that he has information that can help archer and the federation like get like a better info dump on the zindi essentially because he can like touch objects and then with his ability like figure out what they've been doing i I don't know he's a telepath yeah (laughs) um and he has this like magic orb (laughs) right the only reference i could think was close is in avatar the last airbender um this bounty hunter lady has this sheer shoe that like smells things oh my god i thought about this too. that's exactly the only thing i could think of (laughs) that reminded me but the hair shoe didn't say like the zindi are building a weapon on optimus prime (laughs) too no it was just like (laughs) like started running to katara yeah <laughs> yeah um so ashlyn i didn't know this till i just looked it up but phyllis strong wrote four episodes of voyager okay. um some of the best actually it, well not the best best but like she wrote body and soul prophecy author author and renaissance man so a lot of doctor centric <laughs> ones which is interesting um okay. and then she wrote 12 episodes of enterprise and the only one she wrote without sort of teleplay by a man um, was Exile and Damage, which we're talking about both today, which is fabulous. And um, she also has her name on the dedication plaque of the Enterprise NX-01. Yeah, she's just really cool. She wrote Hercules, the Legendary Journeys episodes, and some other stuff. So I just really... I'm so glad that there are female writers on Star Trek Enterprise because if you would have asked me, I would have said probably not. (laughs) So it's really cool to see that she's the representative. Yeah, and it's not a coincidence that we're talking about two of her episodes by accident today. Like, I'm going to be honest, guys. We we do research for these episodes, but not like this extreme in depth. Mm -hmm. research and so just now rihanna you know like like preparing a little bit before the episode after we've already watched them Mm -hmm. knowing that they've been written by females is 
not at all surprising to me, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. Because in this era, we it's true. You know, yeah. Can write from and, that perspective. And I think that's so valuable. And I think the fact that we had a female writer and director for this episode really helped it be like a hundred times less cringy <laughs> than it could have been. You know, I think that this episode treads the line of being both like a good plot and also a commentary on womanhood and on like stalking and on like creepy men and stuff because I think as a woman I can tell you that like every woman has had to deal with men like this in a certain form um whether they're obsessive or like I would have men come up on come up to me on the street and ask if I were like dating anyone and I would say yes just to protect myself and then they would walk away but like sometimes they wouldn't and they'd be like hey, but what about me? I'm better than than your boyfriend and all this stuff. And it's just, like, terrifying constantly being pursued by men that, like, you don't want to pursue you, and it's never flattering. And so I think that Phyllis Strong and Roxanne Dawson did a fabulous job of portraying sort of that, like, creepiness that can be involved with men like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking back to my stalking history. I had mm. a guy in middle school who got my phone number and called me, like, 30 times a day like it was terrible Oof. and I still get triggered like when I hear that ringtone I think about him and that was like 15 years ago you know my best friend like still has guys from high school that will message her on Instagram or like find ways of messaging her and send her like dick pics you know and we have I mean Awful. I've been graduated from high school for like eight years you know yeah um, well I remember even your friend saying like I don't even know if I want to post this picture of of me looking cute because I might get weird DMs. And that's so sad. Like, you should not feel like you have to police your own body in order for men not to pursue you. Yeah. When women should, like, do what makes them happy, you know? Yeah. 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 So this, yeah, this is a great episode to talk about stalking. Um, <laughs> so I didn't quite finish the plot summary, but yeah, you sorry, kind totally of steamrolled you. <laughs> no, you're good. Those facts are awesome. Um, but essentially, um, Hoshi, like once they get to the planet, initially no one believes her that she's hearing voices and flocks. This is another reason I didn't like, I was confused. Um, because he says on his home world on Denobula, oh yeah, <laughs> if people are hallucinating because they're too stressed, it's like a sign of a natural release. And I was like, <gasps> that's not a human trait, bro. <laughs> you should study humans more. Like, yeah. well, I I just like obviously I'm not Denobulan, but like yeah. to get to the point that you're so stressed that you're hallucinating to me is like when you go into a mental hospital, you know, like mm -hmm. that's the point where you need extreme professional help. Totally. And so I just wonder, like, is that just Denobulans have different, like, body chemistry? And I think so, absolutely. Or is it, like, their society is so extreme that they're Ooh. constantly used to working under some extreme stress? I mean, literally Ashlyn, the only Denobulan we've known is Phlox, so I don't think we can rule that out. You bring up a good point. Ashlyn, thank you. I, you're really opening my mind to a lot of things today. Ah, uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Enterprise like, didn't have a lot of women, so I had a lot of time to think about these things. <laughs> oh, burn! <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you're right. There's this telepath guy. He's creepy. And, you know, I'm still thinking back to the fabulous uh, conversation we had with Jera last week and how she talked about how Star Trek Voyager is really good at body horror. Well, I think Star Trek Enterprise, and particularly this episode, did 
great with horror. Like, I feel like the scene where she is standing in in, um, in front of all those screens and it's all, like, a different angle of her face was so creepy and so well done that, like, I just, I felt very, like, atmospherically really set the tone to sort of, like, this is what it feels like when a creepy man's stalking you. <laughs> like, they really nailed it, you know? And I feel like... Also, the fact that there's like a thousand, or not a thousand, <laughs> that there's like 20 different reflections of Hoshi is so cool as a metaphor as well. You know, that like this telepath is seeing all these different sides of her and she's just seeing these reflections back at her. And like, I don't know, it's just really well done. And so like, I'm just pouring one out for these women who wrote and directed this because like, it is just so atmospherically uh, appealing. Yeah, I also think, like, you mentioned body horror. This is body horror because whenever it's, like, nighttime, Hoshi's in her, like, sexy nighty. <laughs> God, I hate the sexy nighty. Okay, so I have to talk about this for the, a second. Um, yeah. Because, okay, there's so many layers to this. First of all, Archer asks Hoshi, do you want to stay? Because this is the condition of this guy of um, Tarkin helping Enterprise is I will only like do this Zindi stuff for you if Hoshi gets to spend the night on the planet with me and like reads my weird book and Mm -hmm. gets to talk to me because I enjoy her company. Archer Mm -hmm. asks, do you want to stay or do you want to go back to the Enterprise? And Hoshi's like, sure. And I'm like, this is a 911. Like, literally, do not go on the ship. Like, please. Could you don't. imagine Jadeway's reaction if someone asked, a, like, especially a female crew member? She'd be like, oh, hell no, you're coming back with me. Well, and <laughs> Archer, I mean, Archer is the same instinct. He yeah. says that is not appropriate. No. No. And then he yeah. asks Hoshi, and she's like, yeah. <laughs> like, bro. Like, I think she's, like, giving into peer pressure to, like, seem likable and nice, you know? And, and like, to seem like they're cooperating with his quote-unquote demands. Yeah, but, like, he's got creepy written all over him. Like, I'm I'm not even, like, judging him on his looks. Like, he, you know, Star, Star Trek aliens all look crazy. And um, he just, like, has the vibes of, like, being someone who could be really dangerous, even though he's putting totally. on the charms. It's not like an antique castle with like dim lighting. You're right. The Beauty and the Beast vibes are like it's off strong. the charts. Yeah, he's hoping that Hoshi will event- eventually develop like so- Stockholm syndrome, like Bell. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, and like his other companions. Yeah, and they all died there. It's so awful, creepy. But yeah. uh, the thing I was gonna say about the ninety is that any woman that lives that has experienced any type of like predatory male behavior would know to not pack their nighty on this trip unless they no. wanted action and if you want action i don't care you do you girl like if so i'm just i just from hoshi's like whole vibe she does not want to do it with this guy and no. so she would not bring a nighty on no. to the planet not that, like with the straps and like the low and cut it's and short everything. Mm-hmm. No, like yeah. I even think about this when I have friends over and they're yeah. coming over like late to see a movie. I'm not going to be mm-hmm. in my jeans because I don't want to suffer. Sure. I want to be in my sweatpants and I want to yeah. like, and I'm thinking to myself, am I going to wear a bra around this male friend or am I not? Right. Because do I trust them enough not to either like look at me weird mm-hmm. or to judge me and think like, oh, I, whatever sexist thoughts um, yeah. or you know, do I trust them or not? Or do I know them well enough or not to wear a bra around them or not when I'm kind of in my like 
pajama state you know yeah Um, and you shouldn't have to wear your boob cage in your own house but like this is what this is what this is what it is no exactly but around my male friends I just like I worry about being all those thoughts and so I'm thinking so much about this and this is in my own house I know that if Hoshi was in a time (laughs) where (laughs) it was not the early 2000s she would wear her like very covered Star Trek PJs. Granny you know? nighty. Yeah. yeah. She <laughs> goes down to the floor. She would wear what they wore in the motion picture. You know, she <laughs> would wear that exact outfit to sleep in. Cause you She's know, like, it's I need cozy. that weird belt and everything. Too. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm going to wear my yes. white PJs to this guy's mm-hmm. house because absolutely. I, that's just so unrealistic. I just had to laugh it's at that. I was like, no, this is for the male gaze. It absolutely is, and this whole show is, and, like, all of the decontamination chambers. I don't think there's ever a scene where there's, like, just men rubbing up on each other. There's always has to be one of the female characters involved in the, like, detox sexy times, or else it's not sexy. I would kill to see Reed and Trip rubbing that (laughs) on each other. I would love to see that. I would literally, like, I love it. The more homoerotic, the better. (laughs) Like in my in my case, give me Archer yeah. and Flocks. Give me weird. Give me random weird men. pairings. Yes. yes, I would love to see it. That's yeah. how I know that it's not <laughs> a show that wants anyone to see that. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, it's just the male gaze is like so it's so dominant in this show. And yeah, you're so right about the nighty. And I also feel like you know I I I'm still questioning Hoshi's decision of like staying down there. I think you're absolutely right. It was pure pressure, and I think it also comes from a place of like pride and like trying to be more self-assured like if she is on this path of trying to be more self-confident and comfortable with her surroundings in an uncomfortable environment like sometimes of course like you have to become comfortable with uncomfortability and I think she's learning that and testing her boundaries and so you know even when Archer's kind of like, are you sure you want to stay out here? She says, quote, I can take care of myself, Captain. Which is absolutely true. Like, and she I'm not can. denying this. She, and she does. She yeah. got herself out of this so beautifully. I couldn't even believe it. Amazing. Through all this manipulation. Well, and, you know, this is the really, the sad part of that I just, I was like, oh my god. Because I'm, we're getting to the close, close to the end of the episode. I'm just watching away, writing my notes. And I write down, the bar is so low that I was glad he didn't force her to stay. And then two minutes later, he yep. starts coercing her <laughs> and pretending to be Archer and forcing her to stay. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I was happy that he wasn't going to force her and that that was the, like, the bar of being a good man is not forcing a woman to stay or forcing a woman to do something. But he didn't even fit that. He's... He, he went underneath, underground, the bar. It's just underground he went at this under point. Down, he went underground with his other, like, dead companions. Oh, God. Yeah, and so that's where we learn, like, probably he coerced all these other women to stay with I mean, some sort of We don't know that they were women, or, but... Oh, sorry, you're right. Other companions. Yeah. To stay. And who knows if he was threatening them or if they stayed willingly, but it's still just, like, really dicey, and I can't believe that even my lowest bar he went lower yeah and i think absolutely no matter the gender this is a classic display of predatory behavior and i i mean he is alone like he does say early in the episode when hoshi's first getting to know him that this trait of being a telepath on his world is extremely rare 
it's yeah. um, like one in 50 million chance of being a telepath. And if you are a telepath, you have to be ostracized and abandoned essentially to like live on this planet forever. Yeah. And so that's why he's the only one. Like that's extreme loneliness. And he lives for like, he's already 400 years old and who knows how long he's going to live. I would, right. I would, th- this is the terrible, awful existence. And so yeah. like I do, like it explains his behavior, but it doesn't excuse mm-hmm. it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And like, I think there's also this sort of, he, he gets into his head that he knows Hoshi so well because he's telepathic, because he's been in her mind. But for her, that's just a violation. And that's just something that like, no, you get to know me like normal or you're, or this is off or we're not going to do this, you know, like stop probing. And, and he said like, after you came here, I stopped looking into your mind. Great. But you still looked into it without my consent for this entire dirty beforehand. He lies because later when he's convincing her to stay, he looks into her mind again when he's pretending to be Archer. So there's no intention of keeping that promise. Right. And like, you know, the thing that also baffles me is the fact that Hoshi was willing to stay because Archer, the fake Archer, as he was pretending to be said like i'm not gonna make this an order but like i highly suggest it so that we can make him happy and get our codes and or get whatever the location of the weapon um so again like the fact that hoshi thought this was normal behavior for archer is a bit of a red flag yeah because i knew right away this wasn't archer i was like no no way no way like yeah he doesn't chug the juice but he sips it every once in a while well and he still like protects his crew like he is he does have a sort of that like papa bear like protectiveness especially over people that maybe he deems a little bit like weaker like hoshi or or she's a civilian so like he is i think very protective of her so i was like hoshi you should know that's not your captain (laughs) Yeah, and this is what I was talking about, like, literally an hour ago, about how Hoshi will just say yes to anyone who, like, seems to have any kind of respect by other people. Yeah. Um, And again, I think it plays into her, like, need to be liked, her Mm -hmm. need to, like, fit in, and just, like, obey, you know, which are all tendencies that I have, too. So, like, girl, I feel you, but, like, this is really extreme to say yes to being, like, I mean, and obviously there's been no, like, sexual violence or anything Mm -hmm. so far with this telepath, but I feel like it's a stone's throw away when there's this kind of, like, violent behavior. Possessiveness. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm just so So, glad she got out okay. mm -hmm. Um, She is so amazing, and she finds that stone that he, like, uses to communicate. This is how he's able to project his telepathicness onto Mm -hmm. other ships and other nearby places is through the stone that amplifies it and she grabs it and she's like either you freaking return me to the enterprise or i'm gonna smack this thing down and i know she's not even bluffing like i know she actually will will smash it it. yeah Yeah. (laughs) well and she uses his own fear of being alone against him and i love that because even though yes she feels lonely and she has this fear of being alone she doesn't let it control her like he does and so that's their stark difference and why she prevails oh it's so awesome i love that and i'm not even scared for her because she's totally like summed up the this guy's weakness like you just said and using it exactly against him amazing Um, yeah so i'm really glad this episode exists and i'm glad that the writers took a chance to talk about this behavior because it's important to know and i'm just glad that hoshi's okay (laughs) me too And I just want to take this moment to note, all right, everybody listening, I know this has been a long one so far, and it seems like we're only still on Hoshi, but we are more than halfway through (laughs) literally (laughs) this episode. So have no fear. 
a lot of what we've been talking about, I really feel like is important as just like baseline for enterprise because the depth of the issues that are happening here are important throughout all four seasons. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just a quick note to say, you know, don't worry. Like, we're not going to talk about to pull for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm not also here trying to drag on Enterprise at every level. I, but we have to point out its red flags and its problematic issues, like we've been pointing out in the rest of the feminism series. There's always room to improve in Star Trek, even in Discovery. You yep. know, I mean, we can always be better. And that's what we're striving for here at the podcast and in, in talking about Star Trek. Exactly. Well, and this is the series, friends, so we gotta Ooh. dive deep, no matter how much yeah. it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So the next person that we are talking about, or shall I say, Andorian, that we are talking about is Talis. N- not Thomas Talis, the most amazing early American composer, which I know all of you thought I was talking about. No, no. <laughs> we are talking about Talis, who is Shran's wife, and... She, like Rihanna said early, early on, she's in two episodes. The first one is in Proving Ground. And this is a great episode. This is when, like, one of the early times that we meet Shran. And uh, he is actually seemingly really building trust with the crew of the Enterprise because they they have been ordered to help upgrade the ship and fix it. Um with like like just to help the federation um secretly though shran finds out at the end of the episode that the andorian like his what are they called the committee or something the high, the high <laughs> command the imperial guard yeah 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 the yeah. imperial guard um is actually trying to sabotage enterprise uh because they want the Cindy weapon is that correct yeah because there's a border dispute with the vulcans and There's so they're like, hey, on. we can use this weapon. I'm like, please don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what Archer's like, too. Um, yeah, and yeah, so well, uh, yeah, so Talus is one of the people on Shran's crew, and he loves her. Um, she is, I, I don't think we know that she's his wife until, like, halfway through or even later. Yeah, because they're only uh, colleagues at the time, and then they develop a romantic relationship off-camera, off um and then we see her again yes 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 well and i just i feel like she's an awesome character i haven't seen this in like i don't know like a couple months since like family yeah yeah, oh so over a year Mm -hmm. and i wasn't positive i was pretty sure that the andorians were trying to like sabotage but i couldn't remember but either way i like talus as a character and so even on the rewatch when she's having these interactions with reed it's they're really fun to watch because he is Mr. Starfleet and Mr. Security. You can't look at anything that I'm doing. Um, it reminds me of all the classic like DS9 episodes or like any Star <laughs> totally. Trek episode where there's like an alien on the ship and people are trying to deal with them. Like, should they trust them to help? Because if they do, they could mess up the ship. But also, like, they might have knowledge that is more advanced than the totally. Federation. And so that's exactly what she proves to him is Mm -hmm. she belittles the ship and the technology. (laughs) Yeah. And she says like, oh yeah, these were all like in my museums and we studied them at the very like primal level in classes and stuff. Um, But the thing that really connects them is that they both have this militaristic background and Mm -hmm. she is able to read 
read lol <laughs> um and and can predict that his family specifically his father was probably not very proud of him for joining starfleet because mm-hmm. it's a exploration ship and uh this of course comes out of the like kind of funny conversation they were having about reed says i wouldn't trust even my own mother with my command codes yeah. and she's like what kind of weird saying is that like <laughs> does your mom have a high security clearance and he's yeah. like, no, like she's not, you know, involved in anything. Um, it's just a saying we have on Earth. And she says, well, my mother has a higher military clearance than I do. Yeah. So like, like how cool is that to come from that legacy that your mom is this like really powerful person on Andoria? Four generations of military. Yeah, four on generations. Andoria. And Reed, as Andor, we know, I guess. Andor is. Are we in Star Wars? Andor. Wait. Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> you're so right. Forget I ever said it. <laughs> Oh my god. But, uh, and we know that Reed has three generations of military, and Mm -hmm. yes, his dad, as we talked about in Family, and also Rihanna, cheers to us, because this is the first time we've talked about a previous series, isn't that right? Oh man, well, I think two cheers (laughs) cheers. to us. I hope everyone's (laughs) chugging their Ashlyn and Rihanna repeat themselves juice. (laughs) I think this really bonds them, and... Mm -hmm. um, I think that it is a really easy way for Reed to trust her. And the best part about all this is that she knows that. And yes. I think she's absolutely playing him because she's mm-hmm. winning him over, getting him on her side. And then she's like looking at the shields later and Reed's like, oh, what? Like, those weren't even damaged. Why are you looking at that? And she's like, well, like and she has this like technical explanation and he's mm-hmm. like oh you're being thorough yeah she's and, like you don't know when if your shields could go out at any time and we want to make sure that no systems were damaged on your shields yeah so she's oh god she's so sly you know mm-hmm. like ah uh, i was convinced by this and like i said i've seen this a couple times mm-hmm. but then later it's just like a one-liner that says oh she downloaded you know <laughs> something bad on the ship or whatever and <laughs> yeah um that's like really the only credit that she gets is off is really when she's off screen oh, she never gets enough credit in this show she is so cool i really like talus i think too it's really something that she is one of the only female andorians aboard uh, i was looking around you know as i do in, in enterprise feminism for any other women <laughs> in this show and she's the only female andorian uh-huh. on the ship and i like your edited laugh <laughs> you wouldn't i put that i was like she's totally gonna know what i'm doing because i was laughing but it was muted oh i've done the same thing that's how i know you watched me so closely so i I really just appreciate that about her that she does have this like you said this family background and her mom was in command of an infantry unit unit and so i think she also comes from a strong like like strong women you know and like you can tell like I mean, not to brag, but our mom and grandma are, like, some of the strongest ladies I've ever met. And same with my grandma on my dad's, on our dad's side. Same with our grandma on our dad's side. And like, our stepmom. Oh, my, oh my God. gosh. Our stepmom <laughs> and our stepgrandma. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah, I'm thinking, of like, powerhouse women right here. They're all lined up. Literally. And so sometimes, like, Ashlyn will do something really badass. And I'm just, like, that is, like, indicative of all of the women that like empowered you and came before you and like you know just sort of inhabited that space and I feel like she is like inhabiting her mom's sort of like and 
commanding an infantry unit vibes. I don't know, it's just cool to see. And obviously we never get to see her mom or we barely get to see Talus, but like, talk about a character who didn't get enough time or credit. You know, I think that she could have been so much more. And only today did I know her name and not know her just as Shran's wife. That's crazy. Yeah, honestly, Rihanna, before we even started the episode, I, we, I was trying, or we were trying to make the order of what to watch it in, and I literally said, like, what is Shran's wife's name? Yeah. And, you know, this really brings me to something I've been thinking about lately. Again, thank you to Rihanna for choosing this series, because I'm, like, really applying it to my life in ways I didn't mm-hmm. think I would. Like, mm-hmm. always I think, oh, I know everything there is to know about feminism. <laughs> right, <laughs> Which is, yeah. like, always wrong. If you think you know everything about anything, you're wrong. Correct. Um, <laughs> which I'm frequently wrong. As our grandma says, I've been wrong lots of times. <laughs> but this is something I have been thinking about, that so often women just are known as the wife of, or, yes. like, this is this person's wife. Um, and sure, you know who they are in relation to the male and to the family that mm-hmm. they're in. And you have a general idea. You're like, oh, well, oh, they must be talking about like that tennis player. Um, and you right. you know who they are, but you don't know their name. And it's just mm-hmm. it's so just like alienating and like distancing. It like forces you to distance yourself from the woman because you don't know her name. And you're like, well, I could look her up, but like I know her g- general like vague occupation. So Right. Why not? This really had me thinking about a real life example of this because I follow women's soccer and I'm obsessed with U.S. women's soccer Ooh. because they're fantastic. And I played soccer for a long time as a kid and I really grew up watching these fantastic women play. Mm-hmm. Every summer there was a World Cup I'd watch with my soccer team, uh, like these teams so advance. Cool. And they're the best team in the world, you know, yeah. like they're so cool. Um, especially in soccer where it is not a sport appreciated by America but by the whole rest of the world it is football (laughs) Um, so when the women won the world cup in i can't remember which year because they've won so many world cups Um, but i think it was the last one in 20 like 19 Mm -hmm. um, or 2018 uh, there was a headline that said zach ertz's wife like wins or like help like scores a goal and helps women to win the world cup and like Zach Ertz is a famous football player. It's a tight end for the um, the NFL's Arizona Cardinals, which like I don't think they win that much because I've, no, I've never heard, heard of them. them. But uh, it was just like really wild to see that headline where like so she low key is like the more famous athlete, and mm-hmm. it, she's just known as the wife. And I feel like that's one like I'm I'm glad that I'm married because I really love my husband. But that is something that. I think I will eventually fall into too and I do like in the like he's in the military band and I'm Daniel's wife you know yeah um and it's just it's just like I don't know an unfortunate like thing that we've done as a society that it's okay to know I don't know just like where the where the woman is in relation to the men around them you know yeah, I mean, it's it's an, it's inherently sexist, even weddings, when you hear them come out and say, like, Mr. and Mrs. William Riker, and you're like, that's just one person's name you just said. You did not include the woman. <laughs> like, yeah, what? it's like, did Riker marry himself? Which I'm not, <laughs> not saying that's bad, but like... <laughs> yeah, not surprised, really, but like, confused. Yeah, and like, just the amount of weddings I've been to, and the woman's name isn't even announced when they're coming in, I'm like wait, this is just a literally inherently sexist sexist tradition. 
And even I think there's an enterprise quote, or I saw some meme the other day that was uh, explaining <laughs> Mary Oliver, who wrote Frankenstein, uh, was described as the wife of a famous poet. What? Yes, okay, I saw this too, and I was also thinking about this the other yeah. day. Yeah, so it's just this kind of stuff that... Um, really shows you like where we are in the feminist realm and how like much better we need to be and Talis deserves better and deserves to be more than trans wife even by us <laughs> like <laughs> correct like even we can be better yeah. like always yeah. yeah absolutely but I also like too that she's like stone cold she has she's pretty much just like I know better than you I'm smarter than you and I like that although Reed is stubborn and can be a little bit misogynistic and all of these sort of toxic male traits, he does respect her. And, like, even when he betray, she betrays them, he's still sort of, like, I don't think he, I think because they have this bond, you know, and and the fact that Shran ends up surrendering the weapon at the end is helpful and all of that for their relations. But um, a notable quote that Talis said that I really liked was, it's not the weapon, it's the soldier that wields it. Yes, I love that. And she that. wields that feminist weapon. Absolutely. Well, and I think, like, the reason I love her so much and the reason why she's not, like, an annoying, quote-unquote, villain. I mean, she's not really, like, a villain, but sure. she is, like, a species that we don't really trust at this point. Or mm-hmm. even later. I mean, Andorians, yeah. <laughs> like, we... Mostly, they're in episodes where, like, the Federation ends up fighting them with knives. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, I just... I do love getting this, like, more complicated view of Andorians. And one of the reasons I love them and Talos so much is because uh, Sharan and Talos show that they do have a moral compass and mm-hmm. they they know what's right and wrong and they act on it and they really like trust their own judgment and Mm -hmm. so like shran is very conflicted about betraying the enterprise and he puts on a face at the end that's like yeah i was planning this the whole time but he deeply is questioning himself and deeply like questioning high command and talus is like this too um she has a really good heart they both do and oh just i i love i love them so much i want to be an andorian like i was thinking about a power couple yeah it it was such a power couple if i was going to a convention like if i was going to mission chicago i'm really considering andorians being one of my next cosplays because that would be i love them so much and they're underrepresented all underrepresented always oh yeah absolutely well, shall we move on to our third and second from last character today? <laughs> Don't worry, guys. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're getting we're there. We're getting there. <laughs> we're getting to your favorite Vulcan. Just wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about Amanda Cole, who is the Mako officer. Um, what one do you mean, only... Mako? <laughs> Mako! <laughs> Sometimes I just lose my mind, and this is why I love having Rihanna here, because she's just like, Ashlyn, no! Well, it's okay. I said Andor earlier, so we're all feeling not great. <laughs> we're um, all in the human. Woo! Ooh, ooh. <laughs> so, this is Amanda Cole. Uh, she is, I believe, I've seen a couple, again, I'm looking out for women. I only saw, like, one other female officer who gets immediately shot when they're saving Hoshi. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't see a ton of other female Mako officers. And so this right off the bat is something that stood out to me a lot. And I only f- saw a bunch of tiny, tiny Kirk's wee wees on in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely small wee 
Louise measuring oh, each other. <laughs> yeah, it was a real pissing contest in this episode. We were, of course, talking about Harbinger. So this episode, it unfortunately falls into the, like, pitting women against women trope. And the, like, Amanda Cole only really gets to be a love interest. But I still think she's very notable because of her, similar to Talis, because of her military background and just her strength as a character. And also just, like, she's pretty easygoing and she's not, like, super obsessed with the fact that Trip is in love with T'Pol or that T'Pol is jealous or that there's this whole, like, kind of triangle going on romantically. Because, really, I think she just wants some, like, sexy neuropressure sessions, maybe a little make-out with Trip, and I don't think she's super, like, romantically committed to Trip. She's just, like, he's funny and kind and nice, so... I'm going to see where this goes. I think she knows, especially because this joint mission isn't going to last very long. She's thinking, you know what, self, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Yeah. So, <laughs> No, truly. I mean, a lot of Mako officers have died like on this on this uh, fight against the Zindi, and like they're in really stressful conditions. So I think you're so right. She's just like, She's not looking for, for anything serious. And I think um, this is a good example <laughs> maybe the like one of the few you know of like how you can bring a woman into a narrative and have like two powerful sides of her one being like a sexual side um because i think it's so easy to just pin women into the sexual side only and they have no other character traits and so i do really like and i agree with you rihanna like this is why she's important is that she's a powerful mako officer Mm-hmm. And, um, like, she's always the one who's the example in those classes yeah. that they're doing together. Totally. <laughs> when Reed, She had the record. Yeah, she had the record. Reed gets, like, totally schooled in this, like, <laughs> training session where he can't, target practice. he can't fire as many shots at the targets. Yeah. Reed gets, like, four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets four. Yeah, he gets, like, oh, he got swept. Completely schooled, um, and yeah. her her score was like twelve or fourteen or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's the high score, yeah, yeah. So she's so cool, and I think also it's she's a good like love interest for Trip because he likes strong women, and like she's strong not only in the physical sense but also like she's very like strong or like very intelligent person as well, mm-hmm. and that's Trip's type, you know. Totally. Um, like independent, strong, awesome women. And yeah. so I really actually like their relationship. And even though I'm so like pro trip into pull, like one of my favorite pairings. Same. Um, yeah. I am a little disappointed in this episode's failure to uh, like allow them to see each other's perspectives because True. they're literally like kind of fighting over this guy, even though mm-hmm. T'Pol is trying to repress her emotions about it. Mm-hmm. The thing I'm going to say in defense of that is this is such a classic TV trope and even just like plot trope is yes. two characters are will they, won't they? And then suddenly character A is having a fling with someone. Character B gets jealous and knows like that's the moment when I love them. Yes. And I am kind of willing to excuse the sort of catfight symptoms mm-hmm. that we're having in this episode because this is a classic trope and we've seen it in so many series. So you know, many. we've talked about it in Love and Affection, but um, that I feel like 
is stronger than the like actual hate they have for each other because they don't really have hate for each other. At least Amanda no. doesn't. You know, Mm-mm. it's just to pull is jealous because she likes Trip, and that makes yeah. me like it makes it makes it more endearing to me. Oh, absolutely. These are incredible points, Ashlyn, and I think also something that really differentiates Amanda and Paul's relationship are the is the fact that she that Amanda is still very respectful to T'Pol and T'Pol still maintains a level of respect that is commendable for her jealousy and for her like repressed emotions the scene where um Phlox comes to T'Pol and says Amanda's been getting headaches because Tripp's been doing the neuro pressure wrong and so T'Pol has to go and correct his mistakes and essentially just give her give Amanda a neuro pressure session I was predicting it to be turning into this big cat fight, turning into this argument, and it is not. It is beautiful. Like, the respect that Amanda holds for DePaul is so cool. Right away, she calls her ma'am. She's very respectful. You can tell that, like, well, I mean, sure, she's a higher, little uncomfortable. It's a higher-ranking officer, too. Like, oh, totally. But she yeah. doesn't drop those formalities just because it's kind of an informal situation. Exactly. Even though they're inner quarters, they're like... You know, she's taken off her um, sweatshirt and they're getting to the neuro pressure and all that stuff. I didn't ever feel like it was like stereotypical of a like quote unquote woman's cat fight, you know. And so that was really refreshing to me. I was really glad that they went this direction and that Cole has like a really strong head on her shoulders and so does T'Pol. And so they can they can set aside their stuff to get rid of her headaches. And like they still do talk about trips. So they obviously don't pass the um, Brechtel test. But I, know. I feel like women talk to each other like three times total in the whole show. Oh, yeah. I'll be doing a reading of that at the end <laughs> from our from Jara's article. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, so they're still talking about trip and talking about a man, but I think it's really cool that her professionalism stays intact and that T'Pol does not, like, fall to her, to to the base instincts of, like, just lashing out because she's jealous. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Agree to all of this. I felt the same way. I really thought it was cool what they were doing. I don't know. I was just thinking, like, to kind of add some conflict to the situation, like, how would you feel if it was, like, Tuvok giving the neuropressor sessions? Is it the same? I mean, you know, I'm just trying to imagine, like, a, a world where, like, queerness is more accepted and opened. Because, right. like, I feel like, yes, there are two women and they're talking about trip, but I think also, like, they're both, like, you know, showing a lot of skin. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sexy for viewers, like, in the early 2000s too and everyone fetishizes lesbian women not everyone Mm -hmm. but like a lot of people did in this era and so media oh it still happens yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's still happening today absolutely (laughs) yeah like oh like those girls are gonna make out it's so hot so hot yeah i mean i haven't been asked this particularly but i have a lot of lesbian friends who have had like been out with their girlfriend and have a man come up to them and asked if they can join yeah like that's how effed it is or like the culture of like i can turn you straight you know is like oh don't even get me even in like good movies they make that joke a lot Mm -hmm. and it like is so bad oh yeah it's just a just another way to yeah and so like i'm just i'm just thinking about like if like there's no room for them to actually be gay in this scene and there's no room for like to 
high command like kind of placement to like interfere with this because they're not even like thinking that there could be women into each other yeah like on like this professional like neuropressor session should be done in the sick bay you know like it's weird that it's done in her quarters and definitely i I feel like if it was someone like tuvok or i mean tuvok's awesome but like if it was a male vulcan performing this on me i would not be comfortable going to their quarters you know absolutely not so i i don't don't know what this really adds to it but i'm just trying to think about like different dynamics and what enterprise is just like not thinking through with this they're missing the mark on Yeah, yeah because i feel like a lot of enterprise's intent is to be sexy and not be woke, you know? And this is one of their biggest failings, especially when it comes to a feminist lens, is that they're trying so hard to, like you said, the fetishizing of lesbians, but also just the male gaze, like we've talked about. I think it's so rampant that they didn't, they're not even thinking about queerness or about, like, respectful women attitudes. They're thinking about how do we make Trek sexy? That was one of the big, like appeals of enterprise at first or the big shocker was that they cursed and that they were sexy and there's they were talking about sex and had all those topless scenes and all of that nonsense it's what game of thrones was trying to go through in the beginning too you know yeah um and i was thinking about that actually because something that's so different from enterprise versus like abrams era star trek is Mm -hmm. that like rick Brick Berman tried to make a really modern Star Trek show that was going to attract new viewers by mm-hmm. making the women like even more scantily clad, like showing even more cleavage and boobs and having it more risque with more sex. Mm-hmm. Like T'Pol's naked in this episode, mm-hmm. which like has never happened before. No, I, I never. Mean, I'm not saying it's bad. Like I, yeah. I like sexy Star Trek, but it's at the cost of women. And, exactly. Um, jj abrams i mean sure don't i mean we already have talked about into darkness um oh. but like that wasn't yeah. and oh no ahura was like naked oh no yeah and gala oh no well i guess all it, the women. It, it all plays mm-hmm. into it that like sexy star trek like they're trying to like play to that part of society like the trek bros um yeah but i it's not quite as bad like ahura mm-hmm. is a really prominent role in those movies and totally er- all of the creators of this show just don't care about women. <laughs> well, I think, Ashland, I you were texting me today. It was something like Rick Berman gets to be his full unhinged self in Enterprise, you know? Yeah. And I think that's absolutely correct. He, I think, has a different level of control, it feels like. And I don't know if Brendan Bragg just, like, didn't care or contribute to the sexism. I don't know a lot about Brendan Bragg, but... I know that it wasn't helpful that Rick Berman was there, and uh, I can't believe even that Shran comments on <laughs> T'Pol's catsuit. Like, that's when you know it's bad, is when a character in the show is wondering why she's not in uniform. <laughs> Bro, why? What? Like... <laughs> I mean, he still said, it's very becoming of you, and I was like, shut up, Shran. But, like, it's still just, ugh. Well, okay, so I think it's time to, like, really get into T'Pol um yes the episodes we watched today were pretty sad and yeah. like T'Pol goes through so much uh but like what an outstanding character both of these women enterprise in general i think is kind of forgotten and like left alone i really feel for jolene balock because i feel like she is especially forgotten and she does a phenomenal totally. job in enterprise she yeah. somehow is the perfect balance with archer with trip 
with totally. everyone with like between Starfleet and Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Um, she just like really is the bridge between two worlds. And I know that obviously they're trying like I, I really got this also from uh, this rewatch is that there's so many odes to original series, which is kind of obvious to say. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she really is trying to fill the Spock role. Mm-hmm. especially when in the episode home you know she goes back to vulcan it's like yeah. exactly what spock went through except they were they're afraid to say gay with kirk yeah um, totally. but, but they were having they said they'd literally let trip fight in yeah. the kelly fee and i'm like i'm like literally a muck time vibes out the wall like bro yeah so yeah there's so many odes but uh, I just, I really just love her. And we really, we get to see, like, in the beginning of the show, really professional, like, like very pro-Vulcan to pull where she's, like, kind of hates living with the humans. Yeah, and, she can't even stand the smell of them. Like, yeah, bro. like, it's, it's bad, bro. <laughs> yeah. um, she's, like, so offended at every single thing they do. Mm-hmm. I feel like, honestly, she is someone in france who's like seeing the american tourists and she's like uh, disgusting you know yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. like that's how i feel sometimes like watching watching enterprise i'm like yeah i'm with to for sure like yeah, they're acting totally. really gross mm-hmm. um but i uh yeah i love to see or I, she just has a really interesting arc throughout the show because we see her struggle with her trillium d addiction which mm-hmm. she was, like, accidentally exposed to Trillium, and then she finds herself, like, addicted to it, which goes back, you know, the quote we, we were talking about earlier. And then, you know, she has this amazing relationship with Trip. So mm-hmm. I love watching her because she's a strong character from the get-go, and we see a strong character go through a lot of really difficult things in their life and come out still stronger. Yeah, I think there's sometimes a misconception about people and characters and just you know humanity or whatever in general that like even the song what doesn't kill you make you makes you stronger is like low-key toxic um but it's essentially there's this narrative that like you have to go through tough things to be strong or like only if you come out the other side are you strong and i'm really glad that to paul like you said ashlyn is constantly strong like she is from the very first episode from broken bow and she maintains a lot of the same character traits and even though the stuff she goes through is horrible and really difficult then you're like okay now she's proven she's strong because she went through this you know like it's just not the case and i love that yeah and i think it's also a side effect of living amongst humans which is something that spock talks about a lot totally where like accidentally sometimes their behavior will start to influence you and i think vulcans are so like like vulcan ancestors are close to humans you know and i think that's why they hate humans so much is because they see all of those toxic traits that they had but now they're shut down completely to emotion they're like well we're not facing that (laughs) right and then they equate themselves like humans to like their savage before the enlightenment with surak so like it really is this comparison that t'pol has to challenge with herself we watched for t'pol carbon creek the seventh damage and home carbon creek is a fantastic episode one of the best enterprise episodes it has to do not actually with T'Pol, but with T'Pol's great-grandmother. Great-great. Oh, two greats. Two, T'Pol's double-great-grandmother. <laughs> she is double-great. <laughs> second-foremother is what she says. Oh, there we go. So, okay, yeah, second-foremother. That makes sense. 
Um, well, I love how this whole story comes about because <laughs> it's one of the amazing like thruple dinners that yeah. um, Archer, Trip, and Tapul have all the time. It's just I'm like obsessed with these dinners. By the way, I love it because like Tapul is first officer, like straight up, but Trip <laughs> Trip is just there. Trip is the McCoy of this series. I was just going to say that. It feels very Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, yeah. this trio. He's totally McCoy. And he's Archer's best friend, and he's chief engineer. So, And he's third in command, too. Literally, he's Scotty, low-key. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he has such a close relationship with Archer that Archer just, they, like, they always want to hang out together. And so yeah. when it's... And from t- the first episode, they invited to Paul for their dinner. It's so nice. I love these dinners. Mm-hmm. I, to- I also texted Rihanna. We texted a lot today because, like, the Star Trek day has been really intense. Phenomenal, um, yeah. In, a, in the best way. And I told her I would literally give one of my fingers to have wine with Trip to Paul and Archer. Like, yes. just for one night, you know? To, like, Seriously. hang out with them, have to pull tell me the most incredible story that I've ever heard, you <laughs> yeah. know? And go home, like, really lit and just excited about life. Totally. Um, this amazing story she tells them is the story of her grandmother, who actually great was... Oh, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting her double great... Second form. <laughs> her double great-grandmother. Um, <laughs> because she actually had the first contact with humans, and that happened in 1957 so technically on first contact day we're talking about carbon creek which was the actual first first contact so yes this is the deep nerd version of first contact day <laughs> yeah we didn't watch first contact today we watched carbon creek yeah oh get on my yeah. level yeah we're we're gatekeeping gatekeeping first contact day <laughs> That's probably the nerdiest sentence we've ever said. I don't know. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but, I mean, it's a really cool story. And I also thought this episode in particular was really drawing from City on the Edge of Forever. Totally. Um, because they go back and... Well, so she tells the story. Vulcans who are on... Like, they're flying by Earth. Their ship crashes. Well, they're surveying Sputnik, actually. Yes, they're surveying Sputnik. Their ship crashes, they land on Earth, and they're trying to find a way home. They can't figure it out. Their ship is damaged. So they send a beacon. At the very end of the episode, we learn that a Tellarite ship got it, random, and then took like (laughs) months to send back to Vulcan. So they're only on Earth, well, most of them are only on Earth for about three months, Mm -hmm. but they stay in this really like homely town of Carbon Creek, Pennsylvania, not mm-hmm. a tourist trap. This is like, I mean, I think Pennsylvania and so much of like the Midwest and Southern yeah, Midwest, the, the like Appalachian region, yeah, have suffered from like a, a like booming industries going in and out. Totally. Um, the mining industry. First was, it was coal, then yeah. it was natural gas, or it currently is natural gas. Yeah, mm-hmm. like those parts of our countries are really like perfect for mining and of all kinds of like things that naturally occur on Earth. Mm-hmm. And that was the main source of employment. And so the Vulcans are in this time where um, coal mining is like the main job that you have if you're living in Carbon Creek. And so these people are like... You know, they're not making a lot of money. All their money is going towards the, like, coal companies. If you want to get out of the situation of, like, having to go work with the coal, you have to go to college, which we see, like, uh, one of these characters doing. And it's, 
uh, I think like a place where Vulcans like on paper should not have a good time. Um, but we see that these people are very down to earth. They're like not fanatics of any sort. They're just kind people. It's very small town. Everybody knows each other. And so this like small community, I think the population on the like, um, sign it said, said 606. So 600 people in this town. And then when three Vulcans roll up, um, (laughs) they have a lot of questions, but everyone in the town loves them. Yeah, they're not like we. They never once say like you speak weird or like you're bizarre or anything. I sort of would expect, which is cool. Yeah, which I feel like even in other Star Trek episodes where they go back in time, everyone makes a comment about like, totally, you're a weird Vulcan, you know, or like like you're you're saying some weird stuff. Yeah, and also to be fair, like I feel like in Voyage Home, Spock was acting like extra Vulcan, you know, so. (laughs) Like, everyone had a oh, lot of questions that. about I him. I that version of Spock, man. That is one of my faves. But these Vulcans, they fit in so well. Totally. Like, shockingly well. And I I love, because one of them wears, like, a beanie the entire time. Yes, the Vulcan beanie. That is my favorite trope, guys. It didn't look as hot as it looks on Spock, but I'll oh, take it. Oh, it's so funny. It's I so love good. the beanie. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought this was a lovely episode, and I also thought it really showcased how T'Pol's double great-grandma, whose name is Tamir, um, she had kind of a tough role to play in this situation because she was the she's the captain of the surviving crew members of the Vulcan mm-hmm. ship. She has to make the tough calls in the situation. And this is very hard because this is not something you encounter all the time, you know, where mm-hmm. you're on an alien planet who hasn't even made first contact. They, of course, like there's no Federation, so not necessarily there's any like prime directive rules. But mm-hmm. Vulcans are smart enough to know, like, don't interfere in a species development before their time. Yeah. Um, so they said to not contaminate the culture. Yeah. And so throughout this episode, to, uh, Tamir deals with a lot of different moral situations. Like, for example, one of the Vulcans is really interested in and really, I think, falling for this human woman. Um, it's really cute. I ship them all the way. I'm, oh, absolutely. 100%. I think maybe one day we'll get a Lower Decks episode where we find out <laughs> what happened and maybe they had a kid or something. But <laughs> um, that would not be good, Ashley. No, you're right. It would be. <laughs> Rihanna's like, um, that that's, contaminate that's life altering, timeline altering <laughs> yeah. knowledge. They yeah. wouldn't just drop that at Lower Decks. That'd be a whole ass episode um, or a whole, whole movie. Rihanna, I think they would drop it. There's Actually, no boundaries yeah. anymore. You're right. But anyway, um, well, this guy, he, so at one point he's working in the mines to make money and then the mine collapses and he goes and he brings technology back to save the rest of the miners that are trapped. And Tamir is like, no, absolutely not. Like, they only live 60 or 70 years anyway. (laughs) Savage. (laughs) So savage, like, might as well let them die. But then at the end, she does go along and, like, allows them to be saved. Not even just allows, but she has the communicator. She helps. Yeah. Yeah, and so she's, like, slowly, again, I think it's a side effect of living amongst humans and Mm -hmm. seeing that her, like... Vulcan officer is really into hanging out with these humans. She slowly changes over time. I I will say, and I know I've talked for a while, Rihanna, but I just got to say fine. that despite all of her precaution in the beginning of this and throughout this episode, at the very end, she says, F precaution. 
And yes. she wants to help this one kid go to college because he got a scholarship. He like got he got second in the county or no, he got first in the county um, yeah. with all of his scores. Like he's extremely smart to pull loves talking with him. Not to pull. I'm sorry. Tamir loves talking with him. Yeah, he's, like, interested in science and space and mathematics. He just, like, is above the people's, like, he has, I should say, he has ambition above the other people in the town, too. And yeah. or at least the small amount of characters we've been interacting with. And so I think Tamir really sees that in him and, it, like, sees kind of a kinship in him. Mm-hmm. And so when she hears that he can't afford college, she goes and sells Velcro. Like, she invent, she introduces Velcro into human society which is probably way earlier than it should have been but it's hilarious it's hilarious because we've seen so many like questionable time things where i mean i'm thinking voyage home even well yeah where scotty Scotty invents or like helps him invent it yeah transparent (laughs) aluminum yeah like (laughs) yeah bro like that's it's too early scotty like Mm -hmm. way too like 100 years maybe scotty yeah Um, (laughs) but I feel like Velcro is like such a low key invention that it works perfectly. And so it's perfect. Yeah. I really admire her. You know, she's like, I have to, I honestly thought she was going to sell like a bunch of metal or something because that ship right. is full of like materials that probably yeah, like good isn't, alloys. Yeah, yeah. isn't abundant in certain areas. But no, she just sells in Velcro. She casually invents Velcro, gets enough money, and then can send that kid to college. So I really liked her arc throughout this because her the other Vulcan that she has with her on the trip is very anti-human. Not not like in a racist way, but he's just yeah. like, man, all they like is alcohol, like fried fish, and yeah. like and atom really... bombs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and I gotta say too, just random shout out to the man who got, like, who had the uh, interview with T'Pol about the Velcro, because I think in that time, especially, not a lot of companies looking for new inventions would want to even hear from a woman inventing something. I was like, how the heck did she get this meeting? Right? (laughs) Like, it's gotta be Tamir's just tenacity and, like, unshakable foundation where she's just like i'm cool and i invented this and you need to meet with me and he's like all right so you know maybe that man drinks his respect women juice too because like sure he sold the product and then probably used it as his own invention but like she got the money she needed in order to send that kid to college and i love too that like she's not so prideful or like you know, wants the acclaim and applause that she gives it to him. She just puts it in the tip jar in in her, in his mother's bar. I love that. Like, that little detail is so important to her character to show, like, she, she went on a train. Like, she went far, probably, to go and sell this Velcro pitch and get all this money. And those are, like, multiple $50. So that she probably made, especially with inflation, she probably made, like, a pretty penny, you know, on this invention. And she gives it all to them. And she knows she's getting picked up, so she's not needing the money. But even so, like, it's just so selfless and something that maybe we wouldn't have expected from Tamir at the beginning of this episode. Absolutely. I totally agree. Because throughout the whole episode, she's very like, I'm in control. You're not to speak to the humans. I am going to figure out the situation. We're not going to contaminate anything. But mm-hmm. she really shows her humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel end. like she creates a Tamirer for T'Pol. Brianna, that is bad. <laughs> like, I don't even smile. <laughs> I'm smiling. Tamira? So that's what matters. Mm-hmm. 
She really mirrors to pull, oh I feel God, like. Oh my God, no. <laughs> she does, though, because she advances in, like, her character development, like you said, the longer she's with humans. And I just think that's so cool because, like, obviously it's um, Jolene... Balak. Balak playing Tamir. So, of course, like, I associate her with T'Pol, but just, too, seeing those tie-ins are really fun. The best Star Trek trope is having, like, the ancestors play with the same actors. We've this seen is the this... literal soon complex. Yes, I mean, I Sorry, just watched I the new episode of Picard today, and I'm like, soon! <laughs> Seriously? Like, I saw, I saw a meme that was like, they need some new genes in this poll, because good lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious to me. But, but it's Jane, a way for... Janeway, too. Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. But, I mean, it's a good way for Balak to be able to play this new role and to just, like, have this new history. And, I don't know, it just also sort of speaks to, like, how this is not a part of human history at all and how it's, like, a footnote in the records of the Vulcan... Um, not a footnote, Brianna. Yeah, yeah, you're not right. Not a footnote. How, how it's, like in the records of the Vulcan database and stuff. And it's just cool, you know? And it reminds me that, like, sometimes women probably did do stuff first. They just weren't cataloged to do it Rihanna, first. all the time. Literally. Literally I, all the time. Literally someone the other day said that, like, maybe it wasn't a black woman who started Stonewall. And I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> so anyway, it's just, you know, it's constant erasure of female narratives in history. And you know, humans sort of, the humans never even knew about this. Tamir's awesome, and Carbon Creek is truly one of my favorite Enterprise episodes, so I was just, like, over the moon to get to talk about this. Yes. I have no transition. Um, Let's just move on, then. <laughs> so, actually, this episode made me chuckle because um, it's the seventh episode of season two, and it's called The Seventh. Aww. So, that was kind of easy to remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the Definitely. only time I chuckled in this episode, oh. though. Because this is a crazy one. So, we find out, just casually, that, you know, T'Pol used to be a part of the spy unit <laughs> with the Vulcans. Sure. <laughs> I don't even know there, cause we know there's a Tal Shiar, we know there's a Section Obsidian 31. Order, Section 31. What? There's like a little Vulcan. Vulcan uh, MI6? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She was a part of the second mission to bring back the first mission, Vulcan. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like deep agents who had been in this planet for years and she was like extracting them to reintegrate them into vulcan society oh my god goldicott would love her oh my god you're so <laughs> it's like that's what they terrible. that's what they tried to convince kira that she was was oh, a deep god. agent <laughs> you're so right second skin yeah anyway yeah so to pull this is a really crazy episode because well, it's crazy for Trip because this is the first time he's ever heard of a top secret mission that he didn't get to know what it was. Oh, and so yeah, he's he, so left out. He's so left out. And even Archer's like pouting about not knowing what the mm -hmm. mission is. And I actually thought this dynamic was really frustrating too because T'Pol is telling Archer like at the very beginning, I have to divert the ship or you're going to receive orders essentially mm -hmm. from the Admiral. I almost said Admiral Vance, LOL. Um, <laughs> Vance is... Just Way not even thought of. <laughs> not a twinkle in anyone's eye. No, Admiral, and not Cornwall either. Um, Forrest. Thank you. Admiral Forrest is going to contact Archer and say, um, you have to divert the ship to this planet, and then you have to catch a shuttle, or you have to bring a shuttle, and you have to go get this guy. But mm -hmm. Archer's not, or Archer's never going to know why. 
and it's a classified mission. And he is pretty pissed that he can't like have any details about what this mission is. But no one knows yet that this is like a classic Star Trek trope too, where one character needs to have a side mission, so they have to pull over. And Archer just isn't like he doesn't know about that yet. You know? No, he's not. He's not in tune <laughs> to the Trek world. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, they do. And one thing that is interesting about this episode too is like, despite everything we've said about Archer, he is not invited on this mission. But before they go to pull goes to his quarters to share some info of mm-hmm. like and and she she knocks she enters and she says i have some something personal to discuss with you and then archer is literally not paying attention he's, he's watching his water polo at the water polo like, he's like the sports are on i can't listen to the woman this was like <sighs> very tough for me to see i was like bro Triggering. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Like, hard to watch. He literally has to stand in front of the TV to get his attention. Like, are you effing kidding me? Like, if you hear the the word personal from any crewmate, you're like, okay, this is important. But especially from T'Pol, who never discusses her emotions or, like, innermost feelings, this is like a 911 emergency. And he just kind of brushes it off. And so finally he's like, okay, sit, tell me what your thoughts are. And she essentially, like, she, what we learn at the end, has she's repressed this murder that she did um because Mm -hmm. not she was not trying to capture six of the officers from the first wave of the mi6 spies Mm -hmm. she was trying to capture seven of them and Mm -hmm. she murdered one and there was one left who got away and this is the guy that they're secretly going after and so she doesn't know yet that she's repressed these feelings but she knows that something's up and despite Mm -hmm. archer ignoring her and being terrible she still asks him to go and she says, I need someone I can trust. Yes. And I think that gives a lot of credit to Archer. I don't know if he deserves it, but like mm-hmm. I also really respect a pull. And if she feels like she can trust him, that's really awesome. It's good enough for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think too, I'm trying to think of who else she even could trust on this ship and I'm coming up empty. You know, I mean, at this point, she doesn't have her deep relationship with Trip, and I think even if she did, she wouldn't involve him. It could be potentially emotionally compromising to have, like, your boyfriend on a mission and all of this stuff, so I think that Archer is the best candidate. And, you know, I mean, as much as I'm going to drag on Archer for not being a feminist whatsoever, he does come to bat for T'Pol a lot, and it's something he doesn't do for Hoshi, but he does do for T'Pol, and I do appreciate that. Because at least, you know, like, once he stops watching the TV, once he turns it off, he is attentive. And he's really good at balancing her in this episode. I think that they do have a good dynamic for this reason, for episodes like this, where they are on sort of the same page. It's when they're disagreeing with stuff that I just, like, don't even see their trust or chemistry at all. And I'm like, what? Like, how do you trust him at all? But these are the episodes that tell me otherwise. Build the builds the trust yeah 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 totally agree with you rihanna on their relationship yeah i i think this is just like another episode that reveals like the problems with vulcan society because yes um at, so Tapol is really struggling this whole time mostly because she is starting to remember things but mm-hmm. she still doesn't really and the guy i think his name is menos he is telling her the truth of things that actually happened. She thinks he's lying, and so she's losing it and, like, chasing him and, like, going to his ship and breaking in and trying to see, is he criminal, is he not? 
Yeah. And um, what we learn is like, so once she fully regains her memory, she knows, she remembers that she went to see like a Vulcan elder and she said they had no choice but to perform a like memory wipe on me essentially because she could not deal with her emotions at all mm-hmm. around this death and it was deeply unsettling to her mm-hmm. and her guilt revolves around the fact that she doesn't remember if the guy like one of the fugitives even had a weapon like if he was actually gonna well he had one on his hip but she wasn't sure if, yeah like what his intention if he was yeah. even pulling one exactly like if was he gonna pull it was he gonna kill her or was he actually innocent which it's possible that he could be innocent but the mm-hmm. thing that Archer reminds her throughout the whole episode is you were ordered to bring them in and to like defend yourself, not to pass judgment on them. And yeah. so this is the thing that T'Pol is having so much trouble with. Um, Understandably. Yeah. And I, I didn't really have any emotions about Menos because I was like, I don't know what's happening. He like sets fire to himself and he's like, yeah. he paints this whole picture of him being a god and he's done nothing wrong and, and he's he so his cool. family at home and like, it's this really big sob story, which like is fair. You know, he did build his whole life and he's really upset that the Vulcan elders want to sort of like re, uh, what's the word? Reintegrate. Yeah, they want to reintegrate him into Vulcan society, and he doesn't want that. And so, like, that's so fair, you know, and everything, and I really understand his plight, but turns out he is smuggling, like, a toxin or something bad. Yeah, um, he's bad all yeah. along. And so I I, I thought it was an interesting journey for Chapul, and I'm glad that she ended up, like, trusting Archer, and especially just in the knowledge that, like, whatever happened is not my fault or i wasn't ordered to judge them mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah i i feel like um what you said about the vulcan elder well like the whole thing that takes place at pajem is just really dark because Sketchy. we're seeing flashbacks and i it's just hilarious that she gets flashbacks to Ryza because, like, Ryza's supposed to be this pleasure planet. Um, but she's also getting flashbacks to Pajem when she was with the Elders, and it looks like they're, like, holding her down and, like, forcing her to erase her memory. And so whatever that Vulcan Elder said about it being, like, necessary or whatever, it still didn't seem like it was in her consent. And so this is just showing the turmoil that T'Pol is going through emotionally. And I'm really glad that she sort of gets the time to consider this and to struggle with it because it's so important to like look at yourself through a a code of morals and to really understand where you stand at the end of it and I think that T'Pol's moral code is so beautiful and it's so graceful and gracious of people who maybe don't fit into that black and white like he's evil you know I mean she really gave him um the benefit of the doubt and that was just really cool and i don't know i think like because there's so often we just assume vulcans are emotionless and to, so to see that to is a more emotional vulcan it's really special to me because i think it gives her this depth that otherwise we haven't seen from full vulcans we didn't get from tuvok and um I don't know. I think too. It's important to me- remember that Vol- that Tapol is like our first full female Vulcan we're encountering in Star Trek, um, besides Savik. So, oh my gosh, that's so true. That's crazy, you yeah. know. And so we are confronting a lot of different gender stereotypes and norms 
coming out of this depending on you know her being a female Vulcan so I yeah thank you Rihanna for saying that I I agree with I just can't believe that this is the first female Vulcan that's insane it's crazy I think that we get to see more of her of her emotional depth especially in the episode damage because that's when we really get to see like the depths of her not even the depths kind of like just her basic struggles with her trillium d addiction Mm -hmm. um and i think it's really important to show because addiction is a really serious topic and it can happen to the best of us she's an exemplary officer an exemplary person um but she does have her own struggles and once she like falls into the power of the trillium and like it's such an addictive substance and it's so bad for Vulcans, she can't even overcome it. And she's someone who is disciplined and oh, yeah. she's like strong, the strongest mind. And she's really committed to the Vulcan way too. Like she's practiced her religion, like her Vulcan mm-hmm. religion all the time. Yeah. So she falls into this trap of the trillium D um, but it really, like, the biggest problem is that it eats away her neural pathways, is what it does in Vulcans. And so we see her at, like, very raw emotions. And initially she was doing kind of, like, microdosing, but then it just got out of control. Um, and so I think it's good to see that, like, powerful people can have this weakness. And, like, it's not a shame to be, like, in the situation, or it's not necessarily your fault it's the power of the substance and it's also about how we treat people who have these addictions and how can we get them help and so i do love flox's um conversations with her in this episode because she finally comes forward and says Mm -hmm. i've had this problem it's been a couple months but she's like please don't tell archer and he's like don't worry like patient confidentiality like it's between you and your doctor i love that i i think that this is so important because i think in all the rest of star trek we've seen vulcans as infallible Mm -hmm. and um unbreakable and of course like spock is sort of the uh exception to the rule because he's half human he gets a lot of like different arcs because of that but i think it's so cool that to pull and it's not cool obviously it's really hard for her um but i think it's still a really important storyline and something that a lot of people struggle with and can identify with and so she's such an important figure of like overcoming your addiction and moving on from it and i really like too that the doctor or that flox is very upfront with her and saying that like you're going to have withdrawal symptoms in the next few days and it's going to be difficult and like you're going to have to learn to live with your cravings and your like heightened emotions for the next few months and all of this stuff and he's very real with her but i think that's exactly what t'pol needs because she's real with people and she has to be real with herself in order to get get through this and like she's literally risking her life to get this trillium d when the compartment is all like flooded with radiation or whatever and so it's it's really like scary to see her in this place but it's also just such an important narrative and important because she overcomes it and because she asks for help and she goes to somebody and so like it's an important reminder that like you're not alone and if you feel like you're suffering you do have people around you who can help and there's hot hotlines and all of these different places you can call that will help you through this and i'm glad that to pull or that flox is to pull's hotline yeah absolutely and yeah just that she can get a safe exit route yeah Um, with this addiction and the fact that she can talk to someone about it is really cool exactly yeah and so 
I mean, I think it's it's interesting too that the Trillium D helped her to feel her emotions more and she was able to access emotions she's never really experienced and so I think it does make a lot of her experiences more heightened and more intense and so the fact that she is going through the this addiction during this horrible time where Archer's been kidnapped she's the acting captain the ship is literally falling apart like it is like nearly destroyed and it's very overwhelming and so I don't know, like, even though I was surprised to see her, like, yelling and throwing things and stuff, I was just, like, kind of, I don't know, I was just glad that, that this storyline exists, you know, and that we're talking about this, because, like, even Archer is, like, we've had discussions before and you've never been, like, demolishing my desk, <laughs> you know, like, what is going on, and so it's nice that he notices and nice that, like, they're starting to communicate better where they can reach out for each other to I each mean, other what like archer's planning to do in this episode it goes back to his like very stubborn character and oh, like kind of yeah. captain cap coming on to like mess things up mm-hmm. he is he asked this um like uh ship that had these aliens on it he, he asked nicely like oh we have a bunch of trillium d do you want it in exchange for a warp coil and they said no but they had had um, damages caused by nearby anomalies. Um, and so the Enterprise was like, oh, we'll help them out. But this trade is really necessary because the only way we can get to the like insectoid homeworld is with a warp drive. Um, mm-hmm. And so Archer, when they say no again, and of course their reasoning is like, we don't want to take three years to get home. We don't have enough food. Yeah. Um, Archer <laughs> says, F you all. And mm-hmm. he decides to make a plan to steal their warp core and like warp drive, warp coil, yeah, from the steal the warp coil from their ship. And yeah, he, I mean, the plan succeeds, and he get he like leaves Trillium D two barrels plus like a ton of food mm-hmm. on their ship. But he eventually gets away with it. And the whole scene we've been talking about this this entire podcast, um, where Tapol has her speech about like if you get into a habit of doing something bad it's really easy to fall into that same pattern. And this is, of course, she's Mm -hmm. talking about herself in this situation. But she's just so annoyed and shocked that Archer would do this kind of treacherous thing that she, like, can't deal with it. It's so anti-Starfleet. It's extremely anti-Starfleet. I couldn't believe he was doing this. Like, this was awful. Um, Yeah, I was feeling, like, sick to my stomach. Same. Like, so messed up. And so I'm with Mm -hmm. to pull, but I wouldn't have, like, smashed the desk and, like, thrown things. I would have just, like, passively resisted. I would have, like, resigned from Starfleet, like, Scotty yeah. style. You know, I've been like, yeah. then I'm not sanctioning this. Bye. Totally. You know? Yeah, I just I just feel for her. She's a really hard time in this episode. And I'm also just thankful that she's able... Because people are asking her, like, are you okay? And she's like, it's been a really tough week. And even the fact that she can say that is a really big thing for her. Huge. And the fact that she calls Flocks in at the end of the episode and says, I don't know really why I asked you to my quarters, but, like, here you are, you know, and he says maybe you just needed someone and Mm -hmm. that reaching out piece it's just essential yeah absolutely well rihanna let's bring it home because (laughs) um because we're going home (laughs) (laughs) it was right in front of me all along literally (laughs) so this is a great episode i love home yeah so um to pull since she's the one of the first full female vulcans we get to see in star trek uh, we finally get to see more of the questions we were asking when we were talking about Savic and our very first feminism episode of 
what is it like for female Vulcans on Vulcan? And so we got a little bit of insight into this into the episode Home, where T'Pol is inviting Trip to stay at Vulcan, and she, her mother is there, and her mother is, it uh, turns out she had been forced to leave the uh, committee, Vulcan, Sci- mm-hmm. Vulcan, the Vulcan Science Academy. Science Academy. And it uh, turns out she was forced to because of T'Pol and the incident at Pajem. Um, and they didn't have T'Pol there to punish, so they punished her mother instead, which is totally cruel and totally awful. Um, and it sort of reminds me of a Klingon uh, honor system. You know, where, like, mm-hmm. you punish your son for the deeds of your father, kind of same thing. You, She's punished, T'Pol's mother's being punished for T'Pol's actions. It's very, like, fam- I mean, family and honor is extremely valued in Vulcan society. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we're seeing the sort of pillars of that in this episode. And mainly the fact that she has been betrothed to this uh, Vulcan for years since they've been arranged marriage since birth. And she does not want to marry him flat out she has said multiple times i do not want to go through with this um but no one respects this no one respects her literal no and she realizes that the vulcan she's going to marry he has a lot of influence in the community and so he sort of lords it over her and says if you marry me then i can probably get your mother back on the council and so the ministry, yeah, so, like, she desi- she decides to, like, go through with this, not for very long, mind you. Like, later on we find out that they annulled, and then she gets to be with Trip and everything. But it just shows you how, like, sexist Vulcan society still is. The fact that they're going to force a woman into a marriage she doesn't want simply because it will restore her mother's... Uh, position on the ministry it's just awful it's expected of her because even her mom yeah. says to trip um you know because trip's like why is she doing this i she doesn't even like the guy and she says she's fulfilling her duty for her family so like it's what ex- is expected yeah. of her but what breaks my heart is seeing her like in the middle to end of the episode she's in her wedding gown and she's all dressed up for the wedding and she just looks so miserable and yeah. it made me i've been rereading the game of thrones or actually i've been reading for the first time game of thrones i just so cool. got to the part spoiler where sansa marries peter dinklage where marries Tyrion, and um <laughs> yeah it, and she's so miserable she cries like her whole wedding day and it just makes mm-hmm. me think about like in you know in some cultures like the arranged marriage thing like can work but ultimately mm-hmm. like in so many situations it's just like at the cost of the bride's happiness um and Absolutely. the bride's future and the bride's control and because they're just an object to gain something by and Mm -hmm. in this case it's a dowry or social influence or or like their their background or the genes they're going to give to their babies or male heirs um and exactly in this case of course it's just to honor her mother and to like kind of purge the shame from her family is the pressure going on here so terrible to see um but it is a good, I like something. It's like sad to see, but good to see is that how far the Vulcans have come. Because in Voyager, yeah, this still happens, but it's not quite as like harsh as it is in these early Enterprise episodes. It's hard to watch these yeah. Vulcan scenes. And again, I mean, I was thinking of Muck Time. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. 
with Strange New Worlds coming out soon, I'm thinking about how they're going to handle all of that with T'Pring and Spock mm-hmm. um, and just a lot of this Vulcan nonsense. So, um, yeah, you know, well, and even in Enterprise, they say that that this ritual and this like bonding is kind of old fashioned, but a lot of families still cling to it. And that's true with a lot of societies here in on planet Earth. Yeah, even if we don't have like arranged marriages necessarily, like I think marrying for status or honor or money is still like very prevalent, you know? I mean, there's so many cultures who pray they don't have a female child, sorry, who pray they don't have a girl or else they'll be spending all of their hard-earned money on a dowry Mm -hmm. because even the dowries are like insanely expensive and it's just like a burden to be a woman and to get married in a lot of societies and so I just like my heart goes out for real people experiencing this in real time and I'm really glad that Enterprise talks about this and that like yes Enterprise has a lot of issues when it comes to feminism and femininity but they do bring up just like any Star Trek series they bring up relevant topics that are important for us to examine in our own society and that's really what we're here for you know is to put it through this microscope of like or sorry to put it through this star trek lens for us to see ourselves clear absolutely well and i can't help but think about to mom who initially i feel like i don't really like because she's kind of clinging to the like vulcan patriarchy and yeah. like how things should go but as it as the story continues and she starts to like trip against her will um, she sees that he's fixing his stuff and she he genuinely cares about and he admits that he loves to pull and it's the first time he realizes it that when he's when she says i'm gonna marry this other guy that's when he's like oh no but i love you yeah um, but <laughs> just like with the amanda situation yeah, yeah. same it's the same plot mm-hmm. um with the yeah but different person <laughs> different font yeah yeah and um and but he's such a good guy that he doesn't want to interfere and I feel like this is goes such, to the wedding. Yeah, he goes to the wedding. Like this is classic fan fiction. Like break your heart, you know. Like I had so totally. many feels, even though I know they get together. I was like hurting for him and for her. Totally. But like, how respectful is he? I can't help but love the like, yeah, fight for your woman. But I feel like fight for your woman is so often confused with like, does, is there consent for you to fight with her or not? Thank you. So fight many for her. Yeah. Yeah, fight fight for her or not. So many times it's like, I'm going to go to the airport and say that I love her. And then like, but does she feel the same way? Like, is this going to be a creepy situation or like true love? Yeah, you're so right. he, Trip doesn't even try to go that route because he's like, you know, this culture is beyond what I understand. I just love to pull and want the best for her. So I think the best is for me not to reveal that I love her and complicate Mm. this more for her. Like that is so respectful. And even, but her mom even points out like, but I want her to know all the facts the thing is, is that I think T'Pol does know. I mean, yes, she wants Trip to say it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just thought that was a really, like, a good thing for him to do is in this situation, sometimes not acting is the right choice. Yes, exactly. Sometimes being patient, waiting it out, like we were saying with Tuvok last episode. And one last thing I'll say, too, is that I think it's really cool how you talked about how like her mother is a little bit strict in the beginning and just um not as likable seemingly i really like the fact that topol has changed so much though it's really amazing to see just how sort of floored her mother is when seeing her again and seeing topol react around vulcans and stuff 
it's just so fascinating to me to see how much she's changed from living with humans and how much she's grown and learned more about herself and about love and life and being a woman and what she deserves and all of this stuff and so it's so cool to see her and Trip both have this beautiful character development arc and also really if anyone brought Trip home to me if I were a mother I'd be like yes you're good to go yep <laughs> doesn't matter what species they are nope the gender if, if Trip comes Trip home Tucker, I'm saying that. I'm giving my blessings <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> please marry my offspring <laughs> Okay, so last thing I want to say before we wrap up this episode is we have to do our weekly rectal test reading, and, um, you know, this scores better than TOS Enterprise does, but um, Enterprise scored at 39%. Is that total? Total for the series. Um, and the highest scoring season was season one at 45%. Oh, no. <laughs> so season one really nailed it, and then it kind of went downhill from there, folks. So, um, you know, that's just how it is here at, at the rectal test. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that we are unintentionally using Jarrah's test, too, from Woman at Same. Warp. Because we didn't yeah. even know we were using her website. So that's amazing. Yeah, thank you again, Jara. Oh my gosh. Well, Rihanna, this has been a fantastic discussion. I really feel like we've covered so many topics. um, And it's it's been a long road (laughs) getting from there to here. So thank you for traveling this road with me. Of course, Ashlyn. And I just am so deeply appreciative of the deep conversations we bring to this table. And I think like... Yeah, this episode might have been tough to listen to, folks, and I just appreciate you all hanging in, and um, just know that we all love and respect you so much, and we love Enterprise, and sometimes we have to pick it apart, you know, just like with anything else, and um, I'm so grateful for this series and how much it's expanded my view. Yeah, and how much we can learn from it even today. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, thank you all for listening, and any of you who, you know, this episode will come out right at the end of Mission Chicago, most likely. But I just want to say thank you to all who came and who uh, you'll, you'll find me in cosplay in these <laughs> days. And it's going to be a blast. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and have just an amazing week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the seventh episode of our feminism series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the amazing women in Discovery. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok, and especially our merch on Threadless. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, our review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Jura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Sisters podcast at gmail.com. 
So far, we have covered these podcast series. Pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. If you haven't heard a particular series yet, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Along the way. Oh my gosh. Why are they howling? Why are they howling? Oh! There's no one outside. They, I think they think no one's Do they think you're alone? <laughs> That's what Wrigley does. No. <laughs> We're right here, Bones. <laughs> You're not by yourself, yeah, honey. Yeah. <laughs> they both were giving them both kisses, and they were like, oh. <laughs> "Where were you?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor baby. Oh my god. Um. <laughs>